This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Cyber Monday to you. Get online, folks. Get them while I'm hot. Get, get them while they're hot. Cyber Monday. I'm glad it's not Black Friday. Because that's not a fun day. A shop while you run day. This is beautiful. It's another Cyber Monday. What band is this? What band is this? The Bangles, I think. The Bangles, yeah. I remember that. I don't remember it this way, but awesome this one didn't sell as well no <laughs> not even on cyber monday not even on cyber monday the day all they have to do is download it it's cyber monday hey happy cyber monday to you get excited folks thanksgiving is over black friday's over very few deaths i guess there was a few i know some people got I, shot. I, right after i said that I, like, oh, I hope nobody died but there was some people shot in a uh, shopping mall did they really? Yeah. There was fights at a couple Walmarts and Yeah, you know, just your normal Sonoma. festive holiday spirit. Nothing brings out Thanksgiving and Christmas more than a shooting on a Black Friday. Consumerism and violence. It's America. That's pathetic. What is wrong with us? Welcome to the show. Hey, we got a great uh a great a great show. We're going to be talking with Joe Cannon coming up and Joe will uh, walk us through We got we got to get to Fidel Castro's death. Fidel. Fidel. Um, also, uh, we, of course, we'll be celebrating French Toast Day all day. Mm. French Toast. I like the guy Toast. Toast. I I'm not a big French Toast guy myself. Yeah, this sounds like someone who just got a new computer program. Yeah. Kind of what should we do a song on? Let's do it on French Toast. Let's do it on French Toast. Yeah. Hey, look, let me play with all the buttons. My wife likes to like have French toast once a week for dinner. Okay. My kids love it. Yeah. Not, I don't like it. My father used to do that also. I mean, I got pancakes, sure. Yeah. Those are meaty. Waffles. <laughs> Waffles, sure. I am not a breakfast guy. If only they were easier to butter. Yeah. It's hard to get all of those little squares. Mm. And if you try to get it all even, that's mm-hmm. it's a lot of butter. It's a lot of butter. But, fill uh, all the holes up. We'll be celebrating French Toast Day, Cyber Monday. Uh, also be talking with Joe Cannon about everything political. Find out what's wrong with Kellyanne Conway that she hates Mitt Romney so much. She's really down on him. But she says she's speaking for herself and the people that the, 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 I don't know the word she used, thousands, the, the many, many, many people she's getting emails from. Because he wasn't loyal to Donald. She almost did the many people say that her, her yeah. boss says a lot. Yeah. How many other people that are vying for a job in his cabinet beat up on him too, though, during the election? Right. No. Uh, yeah. What's her name from Carolina? Who's Nikki Haley. Who, Nikki Haley. She beat him up. So I mean, that, that's for the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Ted Cruz. He's not going to be in the cabinet, No, he's going to be a Supreme Court nominee. Or not. That's the only way they think they can get him out of the Senate. Why do they want him out? Because he's crazy. All right. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun. Um, plus, uh, we got to talk about Florence Henderson as well. Hmm. I have 10 sage points of advice. From Flo? From Flo. Sweet. All that fun. 
All of that ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Texas Senator Ted Cruz said Republican voters would take up pitchforks and torches if the party's leaders don't deliver on the promises that propelled Donald Trump to the White House and gave the GOP full control of Congress. I think people are so fed up with Washington. This election was a mandate with change, and the most catastrophic thing Republicans can do is go back to a business as usual, Cruz said. One person was killed and nine were injured in a shooting on New Orleans' famed Bourbon Street early Sunday morning. Two men were immediately arrested at the scene just after 1.30 a.m. local time. The victims ranged in age from 20 to 37, a police officer said. Very tragic, unacceptable set of circumstances, the New Orleans mayor said. Totally unacceptable. The violence continues to spin out of control. Bourbon Street is usually bustling and crowded at the time of night when the shooting took place. Donald Trump responded again to the Green Party field recount in Wisconsin, saying it will not change the outcome of the race in that state, which he won by 27,000 votes. Hillary Clinton conceded the election when she called me just prior to the victory speech and after the results came in. Nothing will change, Trump tweeted early Sunday morning. Clinton's campaign team has since joined the recount effort, spearheaded by the Green Party's Jill Stein, in order to ensure that all is fair on all sides. Stein has also pledged to file for recounts in Michigan and Pennsylvania, two other heavily Democratic states that Trump won. And finally, yes, in your other Hillary Clinton news, yeah, uh, a man who played Santa Claus at Central Florida Mall was removed from the site after allegedly telling a child sitting on his lap that Hillary Clinton was on his naughty list. <laughs> the incident took place November 15th at Seminole Town Center in Sanford, about 25 miles east northeast of Orlando. The unidentified woman's four-year-old boy posed first with Santa Claus and then her 10-year-old daughter sat on his lap. And she says, the woman said she told Santa what she wants and then she tells her that she's on the nice list. And then he said, there's only one name on my naughty list. Can you guess who? And my daughter says, who? And he says, (laughs) Hillary Clinton and started laughing. The woman who was identified as a Clinton supporter left with her kids and Santa Claus was immediately removed from the mall permanently. I think it was Billy Bob Thornton. Really? Because he was just a bad bad Santa, too. Could have been him. Absolutely. How do we know she's not on his list? How do we know they're both not on the naughty list? The the funny thing is, is again, Hillary Clinton responsible for the loss of another job. Yeah. So she's not president. Middle America. Donald Trump creates jobs. (laughs) Then there was a guy on a... You uh, can't make a joke. A passenger airliner who stood up and threatened all the Hillary Clinton supporters on board that Trump won, so you better get in line, basically, was his message. He just stood up and started ranting. Wow. They didn't remove him, so now the airline is apologizing. He was dressed as Santa, too, wasn't he? No, he just had a hat and a T-shirt on. What if that was the real Santa and they just fired him? Yeah. Oh, he's going to be mad. So uh, both sides. People are kind of... Hot and agitated and letting people know. Yes. Sadie, thank you. That is, uh, Sadie mentioned earlier, Ted Cruz is, he's he's basically, apparently pitchforks and torches are coming out. If Donald See, doesn't that, keep the promises That only happens that he made. to like, what, Beauty and the, the Beast and yeah. Frankenstein? I haven't and, seen that since Beauty and the Beast. Right. Here's Ted Cruz. Listen, what I'm going to work to do every day is is to try to work closely with the new president, with the new administration, and and with my colleagues in Congress to deliver on what we promised. I got to say, if we don't, 
If we're given the White House and both houses of Congress and we don't deliver, I, I think there'll be pitchforks and, and torches in the streets. And, and I think quite rightly, I think people are so fed up with Washington. This election was a mandate with change that the most catastrophic thing Republicans could do is go back to business as usual. And I- hmm. I think I just noticed that pitchforks are on sale on Amazon right oh, now, I, I and they're that. selling yeah. out cyber, fast. Yeah, Cyber Monday. It's a great time to buy a pitchfork. Torches are great, except you still have to buy the fuel. Fuel, you know, fuel prices are going to be dropping mm. because Mr. Trump is opening up so many other avenues to gain fuel or to get fuel. Free. Right. So, um, boy. But I mean, he there's had, something about him. He had, yeah, Ted Cruz. He has a point, though. If you have the White House and both houses of Congress, you should be able to get oh, your agenda through. Absolutely, like Obamacare. But that didn't quite work. No, but yeah. But it really, they should get a lot of stuff done. You'd think. Right. It, they've had it before. It didn't quite work that way. It's, um, it's yeah. The infighting between Republicans may, may stall this because there's some people, there's different agendas. I mean, the assumption is that the Republican Party that controls all of this is unified. Which they're not. Which they're not. Not at all. In fact, many would say not even, there's not even a Republican in the presidency. You know, this is true. He ran for the G- with the GOP. But says who? Says who? So um, interesting thing about uh, Donald Trump is Kellyanne Conway uh, is kind of it seems like speaking. She's actually tr- seemingly boxing the president in or the president elect yeah. Donald Trump in on who he can choose because she's kind of on out on her own. It seems like and she's saying she's out on her own, but she's saying Mitt Romney shouldn't be considered. He 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 was a he was a voice against Donald Trump. So giving him that post would go against what people voted for Donald Trump for. Yeah. I mean, so staying in line with what the voters wanted, there should be a better candidate. Yeah. I think that there was the Never Trump movement and then there was Governor Mitt Romney. He went out of his way to hurt Donald Trump. He gave two speeches that I can recall in this calendar year, and they were both about Donald Trump. Evan McMullen ran in the state of Utah for president. Uh, We don't know who Mitt Romney voted for. I only wish Governor Romney had been as critical of Hillary Clinton and her policy positions. I'm all for party unity. I'm a big party unity person. I don't think a cost of admission for party unity has to be the secretary of state position. So is that's the only reason Romney's being considered is for party unity, apparently. That's what she thinks. Apparently. Except Nikki Haley, Hmm. I guess, was for party unity, too. Because she was, she came out not necessarily as as boisterous, I guess, as, as Romney did against Trump, but she came out speaking against hating other people and you need to be welcoming of people, that kind of thing. So, mm. Mm. well, this is interesting because uh, Governor Giuliani, this is or Mayor Giuliani, this is the only position he wants. He says, "This is this is what I want. This is this is the position yeah. he wants." But then he's got other issues because. Of business dealings. Yeah, he had his in uh, international security company that uh, took money from all sorts of different nations that he would be dealing with as Secretary of State. Yeah. Some of this conflict of interest stuff that he brought up throughout the campaign for Trump about Hillary Clinton. Doesn't doesn't it seem like he would be a better Homeland Security guy? Isn't he like he's the one that's known for, you know, 9-11. Because he keeps talking about it. Yeah. It's not like everyone looks at him and, and says – you did a great job. Yeah. You were the mayor, and he keeps talking about it. He keeps bringing it up. He's the one that 
I, I, again, over the weekend, he talked about his security company, and I was the mayor during 9-11. Mm. But he can't remember that Hillary Clinton was standing next well, to him sure. at Ground Zero the next day. There was a lot of people there. <laughs> a lot of people there. It's uh, We'll talk to Joe about this, because in, in reality, Mitt Romney was very accurate about foreign affairs and foreign issues and Russia being the number one threat and... Mm-hmm. Ironically, Obama laughed at him in that moment, and yet Russia apparently just stole the entire election, we keep hearing. They were deeply involved, everyone keeps saying. Um, But it seems like – I don't know. I I feel safer with Romney than anyone else she might – propose. General Petraeus is apparently still being courted. Yeah. He had some issues with – He did. Which is ironic because it's the exact same thing they just fought Hillary Clinton on. Over his emails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what are you going to do? Apparently, uh, a Cuban leader died. Fidel Castro. Oh, Fidel Castro. Yes. It's a big deal. Except... He was kind of in retirement, but yeah, he yeah. died. Did you hear Justin Trudeau's comment? Yes. Was... He, he like praised him. Praised or him. Yeah. I mean, Took that's... a lot of flack for that. Yeah. And then Obama didn't mention the thousands of people that died in jail. Right. And it, was, it wasn't as a harsh critique, I think, as people wanted, specifically people in Miami. Yeah, specifically people that had Our family Cuban. members killed. Yeah. Or... <laughs> so, and then Trump called him a brutal dictator. And in fact, uh, Marco Rubio jumped in and he's critiquing um, Obama. As a practicing Catholic, I believe in the theological authority and the Pope. of uh, the Bishop and the Pope. of Rome. Uh, and, and that's what Pope Francis is. On political matters, however, particularly on foreign policy issues... I don't necessarily believe that that binds uh, those of us in the faith in terms of issues of foreign policy. I still respect it, but that's a very different thing. Pope Francis is the leader of a religious uh, organization, the Roman Catholic Church. Barack Obama is the president of the most powerful country in the world. And what I call pathetic is not mentioning whatsoever in that statement the reality that there are thousands upon thousands of people who suffered brutally under the Castro regime. He executed people. He jailed people for 20 to 30 years. The Florida Straits, there are thousands of people who lost their lives fleeing his dictatorship. And not to acknowledge any of that in the statement, I felt is pathetic. Absolutely. Hmm. He's mad. I mean, he represents those people. And then, I don't know, the the government, we, we 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 were at odds with Cuba forever. And... Now it's like he's just good passing of one of the longest lead, standing leaders in the world. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's a dictator. <laughs> you know, nobody could unseat him. His ashes will be on tour around Cuba of uh, several locations that are specific to his life. And then there will be a state funeral. An, an ash tour. An ash tour. <laughs> we saw one of those in a story we had where a woman had like a rolling wake through Alaska yeah. with her husband. He wasn't like cremated though. He was no. just in the back of the car. Well, yeah, but you know, you got to move. And it's Alaska, the body. so apparently it's cooler. So apparently you can do that with bodies. Other notes this week Congress back in session. Mm. Nancy Pelosi stands for re election as the top House Democrat in a closed party election. That'll come up on Wednesday. She's likely to be re elected. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a funding bill that needs to go through by December 9th. Oh, to fund the government. Yeah, that's just in two weeks. Okay. They figure they're going to uh, do a little quick fix and kick it down the road until they figure it out in March. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let, let, the, let, let the, the new, new kids, president. let sure. the new kids, new president deal with that. Um, and it says as long as there are no unforeseen disasters, lawmakers should be gone for the holiday by the end of next week. Okay, good. So they're so, really. Yeah. 
Okay, let me get this straight. So they're in session a week. Yeah, they have some tough decisions to make funding the government and then, you know, go back home. What? It's a good it's a good gig to have. That is a great gig. Also, uh, the last Trump press conference. Remember how he made a big deal about Hillary and her press conferences yeah, during yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. the election? He hasn't held one in four months. Hmm. July 27th was his last one. one Wasn't one, that the one where they highlighted all of his goods? No. Okay. Uh, that was another one that okay, he held that before. Was a but good July one. 27th, that was the last time he held a press conference. Um, let's see. He began that press conference complaining that Cricket Hillary Clinton hadn't held a press conference in over 230 days. So kind of interesting. Yeah. Also, in that press conference is when he encouraged Russia to hack Clinton's emails. Oh, that was a good if one. If you remember that one. Um, is he... They're not counting tweeting in the middle of the night as a press conference. No. Okay, good. Because there's no real question. No, no, no. He's just talking. Are are they counting Kellyanne Conway on radio speaking on her own? I mean, on TV. Okay, that's different. It's not the the candidate or now the president-elect. But it's interesting because, in fact, that's one thing I want to talk to Joe about. Joe Cannon coming up is, you know, is the media and the influence of the media with the presidency changing? Because now the presidency can basically circumvent the media yeah. by going directly to the internet, interweb. Right. And that may be changing. Now you don't need to have a press pool, which the press are like, what? Yeah. We need to be in on everything here. Huh. We'll talk about that. Interesting stuff. Hey, folks, uh, welcome back. You're back at it, right? Sure, you're not a congressperson that gets to take months off. You have to work. Anyway, we'll take a break. Come back. Be speaking with Joe in the know. Joe Cannon will be joining us. Talking politics up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, It's time to go to Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. We call him Joe in the know. And he was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, as well as served in the uh, Reagan administration, and was the editor of the Deseret News. uh, And he's here on the phone with us every Monday morning to help us kind of decipher what's, uh, what's really going on, you know. Back east in Washington, D.C., and actually New York City, which is frustrated about that, uh, with President-elect Trump costing a million dollars a day. Let's go to Joe. Joe Cannon, how are you, my friend? How was your Thanksgiving? Had a great Thanksgiving, Sven. It was uh, uh, some of our children and grandchildren in in, uh, Houston. Oh, nice. Nice. A lot of fun. Did you... uh, What what did you think about uh, the passing of Fidel Castro? That's some pretty big news. That is big news. Uh, I guess I, I guess I'm stupefied by how many people are lionizing this guy. Yeah. I mean, one of the I don't know if it's an advantage or not, but one of the facts of being older is, you know, I, I have memory of when this <laughs> quote agrarian reformer close quote came to power by uh, knocking off a, a a true dictator Batista, I think Fulgencio Batista, but. Um, uh, no, the guy is, was a horrible person. Uh, you know, he, uh, both the Washington Post and the Guardian, you know, the Guardian for sure, one of the most liberal papers, papers in the world, just, uh, you know, talked about Castro's dark le- legacy, his hmm. ruthless suppression, 
know, he became a Soviet colony uh, and nearly caused, and I remember myself, you know, the stores in Los Angeles just being emptied in, in minutes, it seemed like, uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, uh, you know, nearly provoked a nuclear nightmare. He had oh. no dissent. Hey, he imprisoned more, more, a higher percentage of his people than Stalin did. Mm. Um, you know, he's just a very bad guy. Soledad uh, O'Brien, and, uh, did you hear what Soledad O'Brien from MSNBC said that he didn't just like kill your grandparents, he would kill your grandparents and make sure your parents and your and your generation never worked again. So it was yeah, like no, he, he was horrible. Yeah, he tortured uh just just ruthless and um you know, just the, the total climate of fear and that exists to this day. And uh, so I've just been stupefied, like I say, about that, you know, hearing all these from various quarters. Uh, you know, I try not to be too negative about President Obama, but you know, his, he said history will judge this. Yeah, hmm. history has already judged. We don't need history. We know what a horrible uh, person this is. I mean, basically, this is what happens. We have socialist dictators. You get Cuba, you get Venezuela. Uh, not to mention, you know, the European uh, countries. So it's 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 a nightmare for the people who are supposedly the beneficiaries of this popular revolution. You just have to ask yourself: Are were people were the Cubans better off under Batista or mm. under Castro? And the answer is, however bad Batista was, life was a whale of a lot better for the average Cuban. Even though it's a nightmare, I'm not. I'm yeah. not a fan of Batiste either. <laughs> is this is this is this a is this a generational thing where, you know, uh, I'm assuming because Pre- President Obama didn't he came out with pretty much a milk toast statement, um, but then Justin Trudeau from Canada he was he was kind of almost pro uh, Castro in his statement. Oh, yeah. So, is it a generational thing where these younger generations don't remember what you're citing? Is it? Is it is it just a day of forgiveness because he's you know he's dead? What what makes people uh, you know lose the edge? In, if he had died in 1965, there would have been people praising him. But from the beginning, uh, uh, Fidel Castro and his uh, murderous sidekick Che Guevara. I mean, che mm-hmm. Guevara is on millions of T-shirts all right. around the world as as some kind of romantic revolutionary, and these romantic revolutionaries basically killed people and got power for a very tiny set of people at the expense of the of the livelihoods and safety of of their fellow citizens for whom they were supposedly uh, engaged in this revolution hmm. you know i mean i mean che guevara is still lionized and so no i i, I castro has been a rom- quote romantic close quote figure from the beginning from the late 50s and he and and interestingly the the country's been desperately frustrated and dying and and incapable because of embargoes and other things but and his leadership and stealing from the people and what where do you think this is going in the future uh president obama was already moving some of that mark um what do you think donald trump's going to do well i I don't know i mean donald trump i think had a has a pretty clear vision of how bad castro was his his statement was a, a good deal more uh, sort of realistic 
I, I don't, you know, I don't know what the foreign policy would be. I mean, I, I on the on the merits of it, by the way, I didn't, don't particularly disagree with what uh, President Obama did. I, I, I wish that he, I wish he had uh, tied some of this reform and recognition to some, you, you know, change rights. Yeah, yeah. For, for I mean, we we apparently got no changes in what's going on in Cuba. Uh, you know, uh, President Trump is definitely not somebody who wants to export democracy in any in any uh, forceful way. But I bet he'll figure out ways to to encourage uh, economic development and growth and and freedom in uh, in Cuba. But you know, freedom is not the natural state of affairs. Mm-hmm. It has to be vigilantly, diligently guarded and and protected and promoted. And, uh, you know, you're always just one generation away from losing it. Mm. Talk about uh, foreign policy. What do you think uh, about what's going on between Kellyanne Conway and Mitt Romney? (laughs) Well, you know, I thought the knives were out when when you had Huckabee and, uh, oh, who else? uh, Who's Huckabee and somebody else uh, really came out last week. Uh, against Romney. And oh, was it? It was. Policy. Was it? Mitt, was it? Uh, Gingrich, Newt Gingrich. Gingrich, yeah, yeah. Right. Newt. They, they, the knives are out there, but I guess uh, so. If there's any question, the, certainly the all the insiders in the Trump uh, team. I don't know about all, but certainly Conway. It has to be, you know, figure as one of the most important insiders. And uh, yeah, no, yeah, it will. I guess it'll be a very big surprise if Trump nominates yeah. Mitt Romney to be secretary, which is too bad because it really had a chance of, of I think, doing some healing and uh, and saying, look, we are a Republican Party. We're going to go forward as a Republican Party. But I guess he was just a bridge too far for the, the true Trump loyalists. Mm. And, and what is it? Is it because he's just the establishment, because he's not – conservative enough well to be fair uh i don't think it has anything to do with ideology whatever that's worth hmm. I, I think it just has to do with the visceral reaction of the i'll call it the the true trumpers uh mitt was not just a, a hashtag never trump i mean there are plenty of people in that category some of whom are willing to step forward and do things but he went out he was you know the, yeah. the nominee of the party very visibly attacking the character. Every way that you could attack Trump was on display at the um, at his speech at the Hinckley Institute at the University of Utah, which was carried you know, mm. by everybody. Right. And so, so it wasn't just that. I, I don't think it has anything to do with ideology. I think it has pure personal, uh, just gut level uh, politics. Mm. He. Um, it's interesting because. Joe Scarborough says he's talked to high, high, high-level insiders there, and he he says Trump respects Romney because Trump dished it out on Romney for five years. He beat him up for five years, and Romney pushed back, too. So there is a respect between Trump and Romney. I guess it's the people around Trump that don't necessarily think he deserves right. it. I, I, I think Trump wanted to nominate him, and I think the reason he didn't nominate or hasn't nominated him has been because of this huge pushback 
among the what I'll call the true Trumpers. The true and, Trumpers. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. Um, yeah. No. I think it initially it appeared like he was going to nominate him, notwithstanding Gingrich mm-hmm. and Huckabee and their their anguished cries. Um, but I don't know. It'll be very, very interesting. Well, it's interesting, too, that he's not putting Huckabee and Gingrich in there. I mean, if— Or Giuliani. Or Giuliani, right. You know, I mean— Sort of the original uh, candidate of the of the Trump team. But in a way, it seems like you've got to be bigger and smarter than just paying off your all of your loyalists, right? I mean, at some point, you have to get stuff done. Well, like I, said, I think that's how he started out. I, I do think that, uh, you know, my guess is he sort of had a team of rivals idea that he respected. You know, he does respect somebody who punches back. He punches. He likes people who punch. And for sure, that's what, what Mitt did. So, right. uh, I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any inside knowledge on what I'm saying here, but it seems pretty clear that he wanted to, and he may still, he may, he may still uh, nominate him. But I, boy, the the fact that Kellyanne came out, oh, that's amazing. Strongly, uh, it was like there's no ambiguity in that uh, he's, he meant it's not the pick of uh, Team Trump, but right. he might end up being the pick of Trump, and um, maybe there's something to that. Oh yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other thing. And what what do you think about Giuliani? Is Giuliani a capable is he qualified and can he with a history of you know making money with connections around the world take that position well i think he could take the position and he's obviously an incredibly competent uh person i will just say my my reaction when i when it very first came out that that's what he was interested in was a little bit of Dismay. I mean, I don't think he's naturally suited to be the Secretary of State, but it, it's a huge plum. I think he felt like he deserved a huge plum um, to uh, because of his, you know, unrelenting loyalty to Trump. But I just don't see that he was really suited suited to be uh, Secretary of State. Mm. On the other hand, with all due respect. Uh, John Kerry wasn't particularly suited either. I mean, I know he had foreign relations experience as a senator, but, uh, you know, who is qualified to be secretary of state? Yeah. Um, I mean, Giuliani is just as qualified as as uh, Hillary Clinton or John Kerry or a, a number of people who have not been professional di- diplomats who've had that position. Yeah. And, 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 and Giuliani is a very, very competent, high IQ guy. Yeah. Well, and it's it's not like they couldn't use him other places as well. I mean, to me, in my head, Giuliani sounds like Homeland Security. Well, Homeland Security or Attorney General. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's someplace more, more like that, yeah. Hmm. Let's uh, take a break, Joe. We're speaking with Joe Cannon. He is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. If you go to his website, fuelfreedom.org, you can get more information about how Joe is trying to lower fuel costs here in the United States for you folks. We'll come back, continue the discussion. Joe in the know, more about politics up next. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Roads, warm and serve rolls. 
from freezer to table in 15 minutes or less and a variety of choices in your grocer's freezer. Simple things that make life better. Roads, bake, and serve. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us online is Joe Cannon. Joe is Joe in the know. He helps us uh, walk through some of the sticky issues of politics. Um, he has spent many years in the political scene and is our Washington insider. Also is CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can go to fuelfreedom.org to find out more information about how they're trying to lower fuel costs for those of us here in the United States. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. What do you think about um, uh, the recount? You know, Jill Stein, out of nowhere, Green Party now fighting for Hillary Clinton's recount. Wow, I don't know what to think. You know, uh, Nate Silver, who's a very smart guy, notwithstanding missing a little bit, although he he at least correctly predicted that, that Trump had chances to win. But he's got a piece out that, you know, how in reality recounts almost never change the outcome, and especially recount where you're dealing with 30,000 votes. That's mm. a, you know, it's not, a, it's not as big a percent, you know, but it's a big number. And the question is, are all those ballots defective? Are there new ballots that they're going to be discovered in boxes or trunks someplace? I don't know, but it's, it's highly unlikely. But, but uh, just assuming you had recounts in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, and they all came up inconclusive. I think what happens is it's no one gets 270. It's thrown into the House of Representatives, and it will be Trump anyway. Hmm. So I, I don't uh, – that, that's, that's a, a totally implausible scenario. But that's the, the, the you know, uh, the, the, the one that could happen, I guess. He's um, is he is he the big uh, accusation against her is that she's just trying to raise money for the Green Party. I just don't know what's inside her mind, but that's but uh, you know people, all parties, conservatives, liberals, they they seize on issues that have real resonance with their with their partisan folks, and this could easily be how it started. But in any case, it's moving forward. Right. It appears it appears that uh, that it's going forward with the blessing of uh, Secretary Clinton. Yeah. Well, and, and it now the the Clinton's on board and she has to be if there's going to be a recount. She's got to have her people in the room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to mess that up. Well, right. Well, there definitely will be Trump people in the room and Republican Party people. I mean, they'll be very, very closely watched. But it would I predict it's not going to turn into the Florida recount uh, nightmare that hmm. we had. Thank heavens. What uh, what do you think about Donald Trump's statement? Now he's alleging that he won the popular vote because millions of Hillary's votes were illegal, were illegals making those votes. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> you know, just Unsubstantiated, saying, of course. You won. You're the president. Why would you get diverted by something like that? I mean, it's just like, why? Why? What? I don't understand. Uh, there, there's no point to it. Uh, it's very likely not true. 
uh, I don't know why. Why get into a whole debate about the legitimacy of an, an election where you know 120 some odd million people voted? A pretty mm. pretty high turnout as these things go, and uh, uh, you, you have to be alleging fraud in such a massive way all across the country, not just in California, which I think is sort of the target of his his remarks. Well, she's winning because she's winning really big in California, but I, I don't know what's on his mind on yeah. that. I just just get on with the transition, govern, but but I do think it has to do with something you, you and Terry were talking about before, and that is how is Trump going to treat the press? No, that's a big uh, issue. Talk to me about that. As a past, as a you know, as a as a past uh, um, editor of a of a newspaper, what you know, what responsibility does he have of letting the press in? Well, uh, this this is a guy who's changed the rules. Uh, you know, normally the rules would be that you you hold press conferences, you. You uh, answer questions, you open yourself up, and what he's done, he's done sort of three kind of unusual things. He started announcing things just through YouTube, uh, and he's sort of going over the heads of the press altogether, something, by the way, that Reagan did in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, second, he called everybody in and, and yelled at them in, in an off-the-record way. Of course, even though it's off-the-record, everything leaked out, and who knows what the true story is, but all kinds of you know, apparently nasty, sometimes not nasty comments were made, but basically kind of punching at the so-called mainstream media and illuminating, in his mind, uh, uh, defects anyway, his his view of their defects and their bad coverage. I've, I viewed that, by the way, as sort of like coaches running on the field and screaming at <laughs> the referees and umpires. You know, they're hoping to get kind of a makeup call yeah. down the road. I, I don't know, but I, I I sort of viewed that as that. The New York Times thing was also interesting. I mean, there that was the exact opposite. It was on the record. There were recordings of it. You could go listen to it. It's mostly boring, but some of it's kind of interesting. Um but there, you know, that's his hometown newspaper. It's the newspaper of record. I think he's got really a love-hate kind of feeling there. He's angry at them, yet he wants their respect. Uh, so he he shows up. He has a pretty cordial conversations uh, conversation with various uh, reporters and editors. Uh, just all, all three of those things are sort of different from what when most presidents do but i think at the end you're you're seeing a donald trump who tweets ferociously <laughs> who goes who goes over the heads of the press um uh, is gonna is gonna tangle with the press a lot more he's he's gonna treat them a, a more adversarial which many of them were i mean it's, it's pretty hard it's a, even as a, any kind of objective observer to, to say that uh, Trump wasn't sort of the obvious, it, it was almost like the press was on the side of Hillary Clinton most of the time. Now, to be fair, uh, the people on the Clinton side say, well, wait a second, who, who promoted all of the various Clinton scandals, the email things, who pushed that? A lot of those very big stories came out in the Washington Post and the New York Times. So uh, I'm not sure Trump is totally right 
in um, in how adversarial the press was to him. But he clearly feels that way, hmm. and he's clearly going to adopt all kinds of tactics to you know to, to go beyond the press and to, to limit their ability to to damage him or shape him. Yeah, there was a. I don't know if you saw the the uh, in, the the back and forth between Jake Tapper and Kellyanne Conway about you know it's it, it's just what they do it, like she she made a comment about the media and then he quickly said yeah that's that's just how you guys have to position it sure we understand i mean it was it was kind of a you can already see the media are getting frustrated by being discounted by the trump yeah. administration Although I did not see that particular interchange, but I will say Jake Tapper is one of the better, yeah, better uh, national reporters. I think. No, I think I think it's going to be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting rebuild. It seems like for both parties and also for the media after all of this, because how do you handle a loose cannon like this that doesn't seem to conform? To a lot of the rules that you know have histo- historically been been used is um, what would you what advice would you give your candidate or your your president about tweeting? I mean, at some point, don't you always want to control all of the messaging through the communications department of your of your administration? Well, I uh, I think that. Uh Probably lots of people talk to him about uh, tweeting, but that seems to be his natural default, that that's what he wants to do, likes to do. Uh, and certainly when he does it, he has, you know, millions of people react to it. Mm. So I don't I don't know how he's going to act. I mean, it seems to me, it seems a little bit unpresidential, but I think we're talking about a guy who's redefining all kinds of things. Uh, about how we think about presidents and, and how they they uh, they operate. Well, and maybe this is the new president that communicates to the people. You know, maybe it's it's a weird day and age when we have the technology and the devices, and you just communicate directly to the people. Well, I think he certainly believes that, that that's what he's doing, and, and he is. He's going over the heads of the uh, of the press. Uh, in, a, in a way, it is, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's kind of Reagan-esque. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just Reagan didn't have the same toolkit. Yeah, right. Is it – what do you think um, – what are we missing? I mean, what's – What's what's left to to worry about? I mean, the administration, I guess, is slowly coming together. Um, it seems like President Obama is giving him a wide, you know, a wide berth to get in here and let's do what you got to do. But what should we be looking for? Um, just as the, is there going to be a healing of America? Is this divide going to come together somewhere? Boy, I don't. I don't know. I mean, uh, CNN just came out with a poll, a pretty interesting poll that look just shows we're a divided country. Yeah, it's, a, it's basically a forty-nine, forty-nine country on all kinds of deeply held uh, uh, issues, and some of them are not really. How do you, how do you come together on on some of these issues? So there, there, there there's plenty of shaded area in the Venn diagram about what, what people can. Work at uh, work out solutions, sort of economic trade, I guess, 
but a lot of these issues are so divisive uh, that I, I I don't know how you heal that. Now, you know, it'll be interesting to see who the rest of those picks are. Uh, uh, it's often said people are policy, and so no matter what he says hmm. on various issues, you know, climate change, for example, he said, well, I'm open-minded on that. On the other hand, he's made many, many very hardcore statements on what, uh, that show that he's not particularly open-minded on that. Uh, well, who's going to actually implement his climate policy? Well, that'll that'll be that'll be apparent sooner or later. Um, yeah. Do you um, do you what What are we missing? What should we be paying attention to? Anything out there that is making noise? That... Well, yeah, this one thing that's pretty pretty interesting is you know. My three years of French high school French fail me, but this guy Francois Fillon, I'll say F I L L O N, the new guy that won uh, the center right presidential primary for his party, was again a guy kind of out of the blue. Uh, he ran on a on a on a sound like Ronald Reagan. You know, he wants to cut taxes. He wants to get rid of the 35-hour work week. Uh, he wants to reduce the public sector. Uh, it's, you know, he wants government spending cuts. Mm. Uh, he wants to cut a half a million public sector jobs. And this guy emerged as the sort of centrist party candidate who will now be running against the far right uh, uh, Le Pen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I think when you look at Brexit, you look at that, you look at what's happening in our country, you're, you're seeing something's going on out there. And, you know, uh, I, most people call it just a populist re- revival, but maybe it's a return of saying, you know, government has just gone too far and it hasn't produced the results that, that, that we want. And maybe we should stop feeding that beast. Yeah. Ooh, that's in- I mean, and Italy's I guess experiencing similar movements right. as well. Germany will have an election as well later on, right? And Anne Merkel announced all of a sudden uh, she's going to deport like a hundred thousand immigrants. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, that's clearly a move on her part to to retain power. She's running again. Yeah, because so. she was open border, right? She was opening it up, bringing more people in, and now she's going to. To to close the doors a bit. Hmm. It's yeah. So you're seeing you're seeing sort of some fundamental uh, changes, and not just in the United States. Maybe maybe Trump is emblematic mm. uh, of of what's going on. It's interesting to see how many people think this is the end of the world, though. Too. Well, yeah. To be fair, a lot of people thought it would have been the end of the world if Hillary had been elected. I mean, it's it's. It's uh, true, huh? Uh, you know, they're. Uh, a lot of people who don't like Trump are still rejoicing that he's very likely to appoint people to the Supreme Court who would be manifestly different than the kind of people that uh, Hillary Clinton would appoint to the court. So, mm. yeah, that's why I say when you talked earlier about healing, I don't know. Half of the people think that it's the end of America that Trump is elected, and I don't know about half, but a very large number of other people would have thought we were on the way to the end with the Hillary presidency, those are not the same as, uh, you know, Republican and Democrat running against each other in the 1880s right. or 1920s or something. Boy, times, times they are changing. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Keep up your great work there uh, at uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation. Thanks for being with us. 
Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. Again, Joe Cannon's his name. Go check out the website, fuelfreedom.org. Joe is Joe in the know. Helps us just understand. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, and we don't always know or hear everything. So uh, it's good to have somebody that knows and is at least keeping their, you know, their eye on it. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, folks. Cyber Monday. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, as uh, Joe Cannon pointed out, fully 85% of Americans say they believe the United States is more deeply divided on major issues than it has been in recent years, per the CNN ORC poll released Sunday. 79% would like to see President-elect Donald Trump incorporate some of the Democratic Party policies in his administration, which might also be, uh, you know, not just the policies, but some of the people in the administration as well. So, You know, at some point, especially another statistic that came out in that study is 40 percent agree that Trump has a mandate. So four out of 10 people think Trump has a mandate because of this election. However, if you listen to the Republican Party, you'd think that they totally have a mandate, as much of a mandate as President Obama said. However, it seems like if you want to be the president, at some point you're going to want to take care of the people. And so – Just a little shout out to Donald Trump. Open up your mind broader than some might be saying you should. Look a little broader. It doesn't mean you can't produce policy that uh, you promised to produce, but you can also do it with compassion. You can do it with insiders. You can do it with insight. You can do it with uh, information instead of just doing, you know, fighting against everybody because for eight years they controlled everything. Be a leader. Be a leader. Please be a leader. We'll take a break. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be back. More ideas, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the information you need to live a healthier, happier life, a smarter life. Today, no exception. We will be speaking about the real reason women have to spend so much time getting ready. We are? Yeah. You're going to have that conversation? Five uh, times more product they put on their face than the average man. Are we collectively, as the men of the show, going to be able to return home after this interview? Yes, because you're going to understand that there's an inherent bias going on. I think it's because they have to clean up the mess that you make from shaving. So they're cleaning up after you. Oh, oh, that's probably it. Oh, I thought you meant because they were shaving and we no, didn't no, know no. it. And they were just covering up their shave, their shaving accidents. No, 
five times more product. Hmm. How much? What do you put on your face every day? Soap and water. Okay. <laughs> How about you? Same. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some aftershave cream if I shave. Yeah. Uh, apparently, women put on five different products. I know on my wife average, does. Average. That's average. Some put, could put on eight. Yeah. My wife has an entire counter space. Yeah. I have like some cologne or something, yeah. a bottle over in the corner. But even the cologne, you know, that you I may not get to. I think I've had that bottle for five years. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't like it. I think I smelled it. That's uh, you need to replace your cologne. Uh, we'll be talking about that. The real reason why so many women have to spend so much time getting ready with a researcher from the University of Chicago, Harris School of Public Policy, and um, find out some of the interesting data about her research. Also, it talks a lot about what women feel they have to do to keep a job, to get a job. They got to look presentable. My wife is constantly like, I have to to go shopping. I don't have enough clothes for work. I go, but you have an entire closet. She goes, you have to mix and match. You can't wear the same thing. I go, why? You get looks from people. Why do you care so much about what somebody else wears? That is the very point right there because we don't pay attention to that. And it actually doesn't impact our jobs like it does a female's. Mm. Hygiene. We'll talk about it too. Do either of your wives ask you for permission essentially to wear – Sweats and a sweatshirt, like no. if they're going out to the store. No, Sadie's I, raising her hand. I usually point it out. It doesn't bother me at all. It's like, why? Why do you care? Yeah, no, just do it. It's fantastic. Just, be, just because I believe my relationship is based on sarcasm, which yeah. is always healthy. I always go. So we just <laughs> given up for the day, right? She goes, "Yep, we're done." She, <laughs> she usually gets in her pajamas on the weekend, like at noon. Sure, she's done. She's exhausted. Just checks out, yeah. Well, I think just being married to you could well, be. Well, that could be. Maybe that's a sign to you, like, just you're you're in charge. You have to take care of the kids. That's bad. Mama's tired. You're a monster. Mama's tired. We'll get to all that fun. Um, plus, a lot of interesting headlines. Um, boy, hazing. If you're in a sorority, don't be hazing people. Eight uh, eight women, seven women, ages 19 to 21, were arrested. After a hazing incident at the University of Albany. It's about team building, Matt. Yeah. How about just like a nice welcome dinner? Can't you welcome yeah. people into your sorority welcome that to way? You've got to haze them. They have to earn it. No, you better eat some mud. So we'll talk about uh, that uh, crazy thing. Plus, a, a statistics professor is going to give a lottery tip for, for how to win the lottery, I guess. Oh. He won the lottery. After telling his students, you're not going to win the lottery. Kind of a hypocrite. Oh, wow. We get to all that fun. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? President-elect Donald Trump spent his Sunday lashing out against the movement to force general election vote recounts in three states that were critical to his electoral college victory. But he is now alleging that millions of people voted illegally, costing him the popular vote without any factual basis to make the claim. In one tweet, he claimed Virginia, New Hampshire, and California as three states with serious voter fraud. Clinton currently leads the national popular vote by close to two million votes. 
The Army Corps of Engineers said Sunday that it has no plans for forcible removal of protesters occupying the land near Dakota Access Pipeline in North Dakota, the Associated Press reported. The statement comes after the Corps set a, set a dateline of December 5th earlier this week for the area to be cleared. Rather than shutting down the protesters' camp, however, the Corps has said it wants a peaceful and orderly transition of demonstrators to a safer location. Protesters have taken over tribal land surrounding the site of the $3.8 billion pipeline project, which it argues threatens sacred sites and drinking water of the Standing Rock tribe. While insisting she would respect President-elect Donald Trump's decision, whatever it may be, top Trump aide Kellyanne Conway on Sunday made clear in an interview with CNN she does not approve of Mitt Romney as a possible choice for Secretary of State. Why Conway is sharing these grievances publicly is unclear. She said on Twitter that she's already addressed the issue with Trump in private. One theory suggests Conway uses her television appearances to influence the President-elect, who is known to be a devoted viewer of cable news. And finally, in, yes. in your Christmas news, we got to start uh, breaking this out because it's the most no, wonderful no, no, time. No, no, okay, no, all right. No, no. Uh, so the Japanese arm of pizza chain Domino's mm. announced it is testing an unusual solution to winter weather difficulties: delivery by reindeer. Yes, you heard that correct. The company released pictures showing how pizza warmers mounted to the reindeer's backs would work, as well as photos of reindeer training to be pizza delivery deer in icy cities. A video posted to YouTube by Domino's Japan shows how the reindeer deliveries would work and how the company would use GPS trackers to follow the progress of deliveries. However, the video does reveal some kinks, such as ensuring that pizza warmers would remain affixed to the reindeer and preventing the animals from wandering dangerously oh, into yeah. roads. And what happens when some car hits the reindeer? Everyone cries. And you miss your pizza. Yeah. Then they owe you free pizza yeah. and a deer. It was really interesting to watch them, though, because they literally are strapping these giant pizza bags to the back of reindeer <laughs> and, like, walking them through the snow. This sounds like that <laughs> fake news. No, it's real. It's totally 100% real. You can look at the video. This is Russia on, on trying YouTube. to influence Japan. our economy. Or Japan. No, it's Russia oh, it's acting Russia. like they're, ja- they're Japanese. That's what it is. But it, the reality is it's Russia trying to impact our commerce. I suppose so. <sighs> What's happening to this world? That would be pretty neat. If you just get a little, the, some bell shaking at your front door, and then you go out there and there's just this reindeer. Would you pay extra for that to my, have a yeah, reindeer delivered pizza? Sure. I my, would. My kids would love that. Twenty-five cents extra. Then you just give the the deer a carrot because that's what you give them. That's the tip that that's you leave the them. Tip. Wow, hmm. it's cheaper See, than. If you have any kids who are struggling believing in Santa, then you say, "Look at the reindeer." Look at the reindeer. Hand mama the pizza. Exactly. Don't stiff them on the tip though, because they could do a lot of damage. Yep. Mm, this is exciting. Exciting time. Thanks, Sadie. It's Cyber Monday, too. Today's uh, today's the day you get online, you buy everything you need to buy. I am Allegedly. loving... It's another Cyber Monday. Have the Bengals. Have you done any shopping? I have, but just for myself. Oh. Because I'm the only one that... I only know my sizes. I only know... I'm afraid to purchase something that I haven't seen or my wife hasn't tried on. It's another Cyber yeah. Monday. I was looking for something for my wife, and in the description it said, our sizes run small, so order it two size bigger. I went, nope, no not way. buying that I'm one. Not, I have a death wish. <laughs> I don't want to die this holiday season. Because then they the, looked down at the tag, and you they're like, how big do you think I You got me a double extra large. They said. Yeah, so uh, Cyber so, Monday. It's some numbers for you. Yeah. By the way, 
what are the numbers? Because last year was 2.29, no, no, 2.68 billion. So before we uh, Thanksgiving break, Adobe Digital Insights, they do a bunch of uh, consumer marketing, tra- tracking online retail transactions, that kind of yeah. thing. They predicted that Black Friday will be bigger than ever for the first time sales expected to ex- exceed $3 billion. Holy cow. They expect an 11% increase over last year. The final numbers says consumers spent $3.34 billion, a 21% increase from the same day last year. So it was even bigger than they expected. Hmm. So we $3.3 billion were spent on Friday. This is going... Jeez, that was a good Friday. It's a good Friday. Cyber Monday sales will exceed $3 billion, an increase of 9% over last year. 5% of customers will drive 35% of the revenue. Wow. So it's really just for a few. 25% of the top products sold this holiday season will be during Black Friday. But there are deals today, right? So oh, there's, there's they're all over the deals. place, yeah. This should be a good year for retail holiday season sales expected to grow 11% over last year, reaching $91 billion. From Thanksgiving to Christmas. Man. And the top five holiday gifts. Yes. Pokemon Sun Moon. Pardon? Uh, it's a Pokemon product. Okay. Barbies, always. Legos. The Oculus, which is the VR helmet. Yeah. And the PlayStation VR. People are really interested in the... I think number six is the Cape of Levitation, isn't it? Could yeah. be. Could be. Also, Cyber Monday may, may be in danger of losing its online sales title. The Monday after Thanksgiving is traditionally the busiest online shopping day of the year, but stores are releasing internet sales earlier and earlier. They're thinking Thanksgiving Day may be the new Cyber Monday. Oh, you can't do that. Tech Thursday. It says so. Turkey. Uh, what last we at Target and Amazon and Walmart had kicked off their Cyber Monday, Black mm-hmm. Friday stuff a month ago almost. Huh? And uh, yeah, Amazon did it in 35 days of Black Friday deals starting November 16th. <laughs> they did it that early, so what is going on? I mean, I get it; you need the money in, but it's you're trying to get your final sales quarter of the year. But it's Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday means it's what you can do at work. What's the idea? Why ruin it with your when you're on your time off? I don't when know. you could just work. That's what I did and buy everything you need from work. I'm I'm basically done. Are you really? Yeah. Christmas Pretty soon, is... it's going to be 365 days of of lightning deals. <laughs> Get them while they're hot. Just do it every day. Okay, I've got to get shopping. I've got to figure this out. Mm. I just sat down and went, oh, I want one of those, a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Click, 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 done. Just another Cyber Monday. By the way, the Bengals song. Mm. Did you hear that? I did. They seem like they're they're getting tired and old. Yes, the voice is dropping octaves. Yeah. It's not did quite you notice the, that, Jeffrey? The pitch that it was before. I, you know, it just, it's just like I remembered it when it first came out. And it sounds like one person rather than a group. Yeah, it's, it's, more, it's more like the Bengal. It's like they've blended together or maybe it's just one person now. It's just mm-hmm. the bagel. <laughs> it's so sad. So sad. Hey, uh, if you're in a sorority or you think your child might be going to a sorority, mm. little heads up for you. No, um, a noise complaint led to the arrest of seven U- University of Albany students for hazing, police said. We said they arrived at an off-campus sorority house and found four young women being forced to eat mud and garbage. Now, when they say garbage, is it like table scraps? I mean, is it actual food? Apparently, or... accused so... of pouring foul-smelling liquids into the women. Oh, okay. That's oh, I bad. thought they were uh, like forced to watch the Kardashians or something, yeah. and that's what they were saying. Yeah, the Kardashians were on TV. 
No, no, you no. You were watching this show. One student who didn't want to be identified said she dropped out of the pledging of pledging process early because of the abuse. Seven women ages 19 to 21 were arrested. Hazing is not only dangerous, it's against the law. Hmm. From only, the Albany Police Department. Only if you get caught. Hazing has been going on forever, especially in sororities, but now they're arresting people for it. You will eat the mud and the foul-smelling liquid. You have to earn your membership. Boy. Yeah. Good job. Albany Police Department. You know, when I welcome people into my home, I usually will your new home? put out some treats, maybe shake their hands, give them a hug. Yeah. Mud? No. You don't make them eat mud? No. You moved into your new home. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. When are we coming over for the party? Um, it was, I already had one. Oh, you did? Did Terry come? You nope. guys didn't did get go? your, you didn't get your invitations? No. no. Did, did Sadie <sighs> go? I don't remember Sadie talking about it either. Mm. Sadie uh, didn't go either. She didn't get her invitation either. Apparently none of us did. Oh, I'm and we sorry. were there helping you move. We were there. Terry brought his truck. Yeah. Man alive. A statistics uh, lecturer who bucked his undergraduate math professor's advice to never play the lottery ended up winning a $100,000 jackpot. Nicholas Kapoor, 26, of Monroe, Connecticut, won a $100,000 jackpot after buying a $15 Powerball ticket at the local gas station. Kapoor teaches statistics at Fairfield University and had lectured his students about the probability just prior to his win. He is now using himself as a real-life example in class. Kapoor buys a lottery ticket almost weekly. Despite what he said, uh, um, he said his undergraduate probability professor taught him, he'd always show us that you shouldn't play the lotto because the odds of winning are so small. My counter-argument was always, yeah, but somebody has to win. See, but that's, see, that's the optimism that everybody has. And they're not even statistics professors. Because everybody doesn't win. Anyway, he has you basically have a 1 in 913,000 chance, person chance. It's very low odds. It's the exact same odds, by the way, of the Bengals singing the song, It's Just Another Cyber Monday. I think it was a great cover song. <laughs> it was a great cover song. Just what was it covering? Whose voice was it covering? Anyway, fun stuff. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the real reason women have to spend so much time getting ready every day. Uh, it's interesting. It also might be something we need to work on as society. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. In a highly unscientific poll, 27 of uh, female colleagues at the Washington Post reported putting on an average of five products on their face in the morning and keeping two additional pair of shoes at their desk. The two male colleagues asked average a half a product and one extra shoe each. So why is it that women feel the need to spend so much time and money on getting ready for their workday? Jacqueline Wong, a research assistant at the University of Chicago, is here with us this morning to discuss the science and
and psychology behind female attractiveness. Jacqueline Wan, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. What interesting research. Now, I was raised with by my mom and three sisters, only boy, baby of the house, and um, I, I never understood why it would take them so much longer to get ready, why – but there is a social pressure on women that that we as men must not be tuned into. Um, I think you are absolutely right, and um, that is what the results of my research suggest as well. What what is it? Talk to us about it because it, it's not just it's the in in the uh, Washington Post example, an average of five products women are putting on their face in the morning when men are putting on like half a product. Yeah. Okay. So um, the basic question of my research was: Is there any relationship between physical attractiveness and income? So we have this kind of idea that maybe attractive people. Um, might be better off or be, uh, do better at their jobs or something, but let's let's take a look at the data and see if that's actually true. See if that stereotype actually holds true. So what I did with my co-author Andrew Penner at UC Irvine is use the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent to Adult Health, or Ad Health for short. This is a nationally representative data set. Um, of 20,000 adolescents, and they were followed up into adulthood. Um, We took a look to see if interviewers who rated these respondents' attractiveness, um, if these respondents did, in fact, earn more or less money depending on how attractive they were. And so the answer was yes. Um, We do see a positive relationship between physical attractiveness and income where more physically attractive people tended to earn higher income. And so we thought, well, what exactly is going on here? Is physical attractiveness something that you're born with and that's biologically based and, you know, you just got lucky that you have great skin, beautiful eyes, um, wonderful hair, or is attractiveness more about something that you do, something that you can cultivate? Mm. And that is where we found out that grooming, um, the work that people put into presenting themselves, so buying nice clothes, getting a good haircut um, for women doing their makeup, um, that actually um, accounted for the relationship between attractiveness and income. So it seems that the grooming aspect of beauty is more important than the biological part Hmm. of attractiveness. Is that is that in men or cuz so cuz if men groomed more would they make more? Yes, so we we did see that in general um more attractive men uh earned more money than less attractive men same way uh as it works for women. Um for women grooming explained the entire effect of attractiveness. So for women grooming was the single most important thing for income. Hmm. For men, grooming was a little bit important. So yes, men who are better groomed tend to do uh, better than men who are not well groomed, but there's still some kind of effect of being born physically attractive for men that uh, we couldn't explain just by accounting for how well groomed they were. So there's something about being born um, very handsome Hmm. for men, whereas that 
we didn't see for women at all. For women, it was all about how much work do you put into buying the right clothes and making sure that your skin is glowing um, by using the right products. Wow, because it's it, it almost seems counterintuitive too. Because um, I mean, it makes sense, except if a woman is paying five, is buying five more products than a man. Mm-hmm. Just to break, I guess, really to to be seen as more attractive than mm-hmm. um, that's just facial products. That that costs a lot of money. It costs five times more for the woman to actually get paid equally. I mean, you could say that we didn't do that calculation exactly, but you have to remember that women get paid less than men right. do on average, um, and if they're going out and spending money on these shoes and beauty products and spending time um, doing all of this work, mm. uh, you can see how you can see how um, our notions of beauty as a culture uh, really play into some gender inequality in our society. That's so true. Talk about, um, is this, how does this come to be? I mean, I guess it shows how intuitive women are to know that there's a connection of the looks to the pay. Um, if they're buying into that, I guess some of it's socialization. Talk about what what drives them to do it. Okay, so um, I wasn't able to do this uh, exact. Uh, I wasn't ex- able to explore this exact question in my own research, but I've read a lot of other people's research that suggests that attractive people tend to do better in the social world, whether or not, whether we're talking about income or schooling or, um, you know, just general interactions, because there is this bias that social psychologists have uncovered called um, the what is beautiful is good bias. So we tend to assume as humans that attractive people are good people, they're nice people, they're friendly people, they are competent people. So we tend to treat um, attractive people a little bit better than less attractive people. So um, if women have this intuition, um, and I think you're right, it is socialized. Um, yeah. We don't, we, we're not born <laughs> yeah, right. knowing how to put makeup on. You learn it. Um, um, if there is that intuition, then then understanding that being able to groom yourself so that you are more physically attractive in order to have more income might be, you know, advantageous to you as an individual. Man, you know, it's, this is, it's, I guess it's kind of a, it's just survival, really. We, we know we need to look the part, play the part, act the part, even if we don't know the part. And, is it is some of this that we want more attractive people around us? Is that why we kind of buy into the halo effect of this? Um, I think some of it might be that, yes. Um, what what my co-author and I talk about in this paper is uh, maybe something um, a little more a little more negative uh, in in a worldview, we, we interpret this finding as this is one of the mechanisms through which we control women's behavior. Mm. So it's a, it's a subtle thing, um, and it's not, you know, completely coercive and aggressive and violent, 
but it's it's one of the things that we have in place as a society that directs women to do to engage in certain behaviors much more so than men are called to engage in these behaviors yeah is it do do women apply the same standard to women as men apply to women about their attractiveness um yes so in general um social psychologists have found that most people um, across genders, even across cultures, um, can agree whether or not someone is physically attractive or not. So if I were to show you a picture of a random person and have you rate how physically attractive you found the person, and then you were to show the same picture to me and to you know 10 other people, on average, we would all pretty much agree whether or not this person was attractive, regardless of your taste, my specific taste, um, different cultures. Generally, people look for the same cues hmm. when looking at attractiveness. And the, so attractiveness, some of the benefits are increased income, right? Increased, mm-hmm. I guess, higher ability. What are, what are some other advantages that you found in the research? Yeah, so um, some other advantages include... Um, People are, people are considered more friendly uh, if they are attractive, and you can imagine how that would be an advantage. People are more willing to help you if they think you're more friendly. Um, people are more willing to talk to you and give you opportunities if they think you're more friendly. Um, attractive children uh, are treated better by their teachers and their peers at school, and you can kind of see how attractiveness can be an asset throughout the life course, starting at young ages. Yeah. Um, yeah, you start, I mean, if you're a beautiful child and everybody's more drawn to you, more attracted mm-hmm. to you, being nicer mm-hmm. to you, always giving right. you the benefit of the doubt, yeah, you could, right. it seems like that, that you've just created an egomaniac supermodel. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, <laughs> so, right. So, so we also see a correlation between attractiveness and confidence and um, outgoingness. And, and these are other traits that we value in particularly American society. Um, so you've got the look then, you've got the personality to go with it. Um, this is just accumulating advantage over the life course. Hmm. We're, this is, so this then says that women subconsciously, I guess, or even consciously, they know they need to look good, smell good, shine appropriately, um, they need to – so they spend more time in the morning. Is it – it's got to be frustrating anybody that's conscious or conscientiously doing this. What's what's going through their mind? Do do they connect it to kind of this, this hierarchy of men holding them down? Um, what do they feel going through this? Um, so I won't be able to speak for every single woman, but I've seen research suggesting that – hey, there are some people who see the system in play and they say, fine, I know how to play this game. I know the rules. Let's go for it and, you know, get some benefit from it. And then there are some people who um, who don't see it that way at all. There, There's a lot of research that suggests that um, grooming and beauty practices um, for, for women themselves is more about self-expression. Mm. than it is about, you know, trying to play this game and earning the most money. Um, It's about feeling good in their own skin. And, you know, um, 
for me personally, I can see both things working at the same time. It's not either or, it's a little bit of both and. So if I was a woman who really, really liked getting my hair cut because it makes me feel really powerful and really confident, but at the same time I'm getting rewarded for that, well, you know, that's the world that we live in. Um, if, if I were an employer, I would want to be a little bit more cognizant of, of how this type of beauty-based inequality might play out in my workplace. Mm. Um, I mean, because so, so it's, never, it's never even supposed to be incorporated in the process, and yet subconsciously we're, we're evaluating it all the time. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think one of the... Um, one of the pitfalls is that people don't recognize that they have this unconscious bias towards favoring attractive people. So one of the recommendations that I would make to supervisors or managers, um, people who are in charge in workplaces, is trying to come up with evaluations for their employees that takes some of the physical attractiveness bias away so if you're trying to evaluate someone's work, maybe have them turn it in and have blind reviewers hmm. um, take a look at this work. Um, or even just having um, a manager be trained to slow down and ask themselves, how much of my rating of this employee is influenced by how I perceive the person physically as opposed to how I perceive the person as a worker, full stop. Hmm. Because we talk about it, and we've had people on the show that, you know, your first impression, your first impression, you get one chance for a good first impression. Mm -hmm. And it it almost plays into that mindset that, I mean, of course they're going to dress up and look good and smell good and, and just be shining and perfect when they come in for their job interview. They're just mm-hmm. doing that because it's a first impression. But really, it, it could be the deal breaker or the deal right. maker. Right. So there there is one theory called the signaling theory that suggests that, well, people who put in more effort into being well-groomed, so the, the guy who went out and tailored his suit rather than pulling something off the off the rack that doesn't fit quite right. Um, the woman who went out of her way to get her hair colored um, before this important job interview. The signaling theory suggests that these people are actually trying to convey their value as a worker because they are paying attention to detail, they're willing to put in the effort, and that physical attractiveness really is something that we should pay attention to um, in the workplace. Uh, as far as worker quality goes. But, yeah. you know, that's, that's one theory. There are many others. <laughs> wow, it's interesting. It really is. It's opening up uh, my mind into how subtle our choices really are, and we don't think so many of them through. We're speaking with Jacqueline Wong, and she is a research assistant on the National Social Life Health and Aging Project, a nationally representative study of older Americans and a research assistant at the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy Center for Survey Research. We'll come back, continue the discussion about the real reason why so many women have to spend so much time getting ready every day. They got to get all their products on because it, it helps. It helps make a living. It helps make more money. It helps keep them in the game. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Does attractiveness influence you in who you hire, in why you hiring, why you hire them? Does it impact your view of them? Do you think they're smarter because they're more attractive? Well, according to our our guest today, uh, Jacqueline Wong joins us, and she is um, a research assistant at the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy Center for Survey Research and wrote her master's thesis on this very subject, um, Gender and the Return to Attractiveness. Um, Her master's uh, title, thesis title, Competing Desires, How Young Adult Couples Negotiate Moving for Career Opportunities. And she's walking us through some of her research about the fact that if we find somebody attractive, um, it it tends to influence what we think about them. And maybe we give them an unfair advantage. And in the end, this may be hindering um, females because they might feel more of a compelling need to to have to close the, the income gap, for example, to create more opportunities to uh, to earn. And by doing so, they might feel more compelled to have to look better, be better, dress better. We appreciate you, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for being with us. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Interesting insight. Um, this this idea that I all of a sudden I hire, I have all these subconscious things going on that I, I guess some people would just say, it was, I don't know, it was just my gut. What was it that you liked most about Stacey? I just felt good about it. But that good feeling is simply they might be more attractive. That's why I Absolutely. gave them the job. But no one would say that, would they? I don't think anyone would say that. And I I think that, you know, we just we don't really recognize that. And that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad person. Um, It's it's just something that goes on in your brain without us really consciously knowing it. Um, And I think that my research shows that we need to be a little bit more thoughtful Mm. about how we perceive people. I totally agree. And um, does does this go by ethnicity? Are are certain? I mean, is there a is there a universal standard of attractiveness that I would see across every every ethnic group, or are some ethnic groups less attractive to me? How does that impact? Because because that I guess could also be part of our bias. Yes, sure. So I was only looking at data from the United States and. Most of the people in my research sample uh, were white because that's, that's what America looks like right now. Um, there are absolutely um, racial minorities included in my sample, but, you know, overall, um, we have a white American sample. Um, social psychology research suggests that there is some kind of universal, uh, some type of universal criteria for attractiveness. Things like facial symmetry, um, youth, and um, I think I think those might be two of the most important things that cut across different cultures. But um, when you get down to grooming, grooming is really different across cultures, right? right? So, you know, in America, we might have the idea that women with long hair versus short hair might be more attractive or men with short hair rather than long hair are attractive. Um, But in other cultures, it could be something completely different. Hmm. Um, So the, the question about attractiveness and race 
or ethnicity, um, I do think that that plays into whether or not we perceive someone as physically attractive. So I haven't looked at that specific research question um, in this particular paper. It is something that I am continuing to explore uh, in my research. Um, I've, I've looked at some very preliminary um, some very preliminary analyses looking at skin tone and physical attractiveness. So hmm. there, there's a little bit of evidence that I'm not 100% sure of yet because this is still kind of an, an exploratory state um, where lighter skin tone is associated with higher attractiveness. So basically people are rating light, lighter skinned people as more attractive. Hmm. But, yeah. you know, I, I do think that there there has to be a little bit more work going into it to see exactly what's going on with skin color, attractiveness, race. It, it gets complicated. You bet. We, you've already taught us that. So one thing we have to become to, to understand this is you don't have to – it's subconscious, a lot of this. But we can increase our awareness about it. We can make an effort to make sure that we're not just doing this – based on looks. We're not hiring people. We're not paying people more based on looks and, and attractiveness. Um, what else can we do just as society, as, as somebody that's about to hire someone, let's say, or what can, I, what can I do for my family, my daughters, my wife, so that they don't feel a compelling need to have to, you know, be putting makeup on five times more than, you know, and, and, and doing more grooming five times more than men. Yeah, so I think that, you know, I want to absolutely reiterate that managers and supervisors and people who are in positions of power need to take that time to really step back and ask themselves, am I judging this person based on physical attractiveness or am I really judging this person based on their skill? And I want to add to that that they need to be especially aware of this if they're rating women, because remember, Mm. it was women where this effect was very present. Um, So so there's that. Um, Maybe workplaces can step towards more objective types of employee evaluations. So, for example, if you are... um, if you are in a field that does a lot of writing, um, maybe this person should submit a writing sample and they shouldn't show up mm, to right. the evaluation so that their their looks can't affect uh, how the writing sample is being rated. Um, some advice that um, I would give to uh, your family, you know, your wife, your daughters, um, women in general, um, uh, I would say... Do what makes you feel comfortable. Do what makes you feel comfortable because I think being comfortable will absolutely um, make you feel better. Mm. And people who aren't, you know, anxious or feeling a little bit on edge or uncomfortable, um, your interactions with people are going to go a lot more smoothly and your personality and your skills and who you are as a person is maybe more able, uh, more available to come out so that mm. people can really be making a more accurate judgment of you. And if you like, if if the grooming is what you like and you like, you know, design and fashion and picking it up, be that. If that makes you comfortable, do that. Don't think you have to be anything but what you need to be. 
Exactly. Absolutely. That's cool. Is um, I, I guess is there is there a downside? Because uh, it seems like there's also this pressure to just be treated equally, right? And and to be paid equally for and and if if this is unfairly, uh, if we're more judgmental of attraction uh, of females and their need to to do more, how does that ever change? How do we ever stop it? And and how do women stop living under that umbrella of judgment? Yeah, well, I think men and women have to come together to recognize that this bias exists and try to implement it a little bit more in their workplaces and their communities, right? Like if we can all if we can all think a little bit harder about how physical attractiveness influences our everyday interactions, we can start there. We can start there. Hmm. That's great. Great advice. Well, Jacqueline Wong, thank you so much for your research. Keep up the great work there. Honestly, it's a different feeling, isn't it? We we have this sense that, no, I'm just hiring people. But you have a gut feeling. You have something going on deep down that you may not even be aware of. And it, it does impact immediately uh, how you judge, how you pay, how you promote. Um, it's interesting. Boy, do what you can to at least be open. Uh, recognize that there's a bias there. Recognize that it exists. And maybe be a little slower to call your grandbaby wonderful only because she's beautiful. Maybe we can see all the other good things that your grandchild is, right? Smart, inquisitive, energetic, fun, lots of things. Not just pretty. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, have a smarter life. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, that's why you can't, you got to be careful judging people and judging because we're quietly, subconsciously doing it all the time. Like when you, when we hired you, I thought this guy can groom. Really? Yeah. You thought of my grooming habits as I sat well, there? Well, Don and I talked about it for hours. Wow. He seems to groom very well. Wow. He cleans himself up. He took a shower before he came in. He was wearing, I don't remember what you were wearing. You got into the, the you one. wearing a suit? No, I was wearing a leather jacket. Oh, that's right. I thought it looked more impressive. I Maybe thought you looked totally hip. Yeah. yeah. That was nice. Yeah. My wife said it looked dressy without looking yeah. too dressy. And you, But the slicked hair, the greased yeah. back Fonzie hair, that that was the deal breaker. <laughs> that's what said, okay. Hey, um, Florence Henderson passed away. She did. My mother. Week. She. I was a latchkey child. She raised me. I was the seventh Brady. You were? Yeah. Wasn't, Talk about w- wasn't it that little cousin kid that came and lived with him for oh, a while? Right. Whatever his name was with the glasses and the floppy hair? Yeah, was it Oliver? What yeah, was Oliver. It was Oliver. Oliver. Wow, we watched too many of those shows. Yeah, those are the good days. <laughs> yeah, I was, okay, so I was the eighth child. Okay. Wasn't that the dog? Bandit or whatever his name was? Yeah. Was it Bandit? Okay. Or was that Johnny Let's just Quest? Say I was one of their children. Okay. No number. What, uh... So I found ten pieces of sage advice from Florence Henderson. Okay. 
either as Mrs. Brady or as Florence Henderson. Right. The first one is you shouldn't put down a loser, Cindy, because you might be a loser one day yourself. Just remember that. That's a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> it could come back to haunt you. Can't you see her saying that, like, on in the girl's bedroom? Yeah. Or another one is you better wear something else or you're going to get arrested. Ah, there you go. From is the that, Brady Bunch. Is that to one of the girls or one of the guys? Not sure. It doesn't okay. say. Um, it takes a lot of courage to be happy, but I've got courage, so I think I'll be happy again. She said that the day after her husband died, back oh. in 2012. Oh. Wow, okay. That's a good lesson. She chose to be happy. No problem was ever solved by crawling into a hole. Greg. It's on the Brady Bunch. Yeah, pick the kid. I had four children, and my youngest, when we started, was like, oh, gosh, two or a little less. And sometimes my kids would say to me, you know, how come you don't scream at those kids on TV like you do at us? <laughs> that was in an NPR interview in 2014. That's so true. I but, think she also said, uh, never date your co-stars. Oops. Ooh. That was a rumor. You just brought up the third rail of the Brady Bunch. Uh, number eight, you mustn't let the boys upset you. Okay, that I'm going with Jan. Could be. Okay. A lot of women say to me, you know, I really hated you because my kids wanted you to be their mother. That yeah, was 2010. Yeah. <laughs> Don't play ball in the house. Uh, that's going to be Bobby and... Or the football episode with yeah, Greg Jan breaking her nose. But she broke it outside, I thought. Was that in the fake patio? With the, the fake patio right off Astro of the Turf. dining room door. <laughs> Those are good. See, she's a great woman. Yeah. Great mom. May she rest in peace. She's up there with Mike Brady right now. <laughs> Mike's friends. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, I love the Brady Bunch. I don't know why. It was just very comforting. Yeah. I watched... Quite a bit of that show. That's a, That was a sign of a – because it was a blended family, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. And then Flora – what was her name? Not Florent. Uh, who was the – Alice. Alice. And Sam. I always found that strange. Sam the Butcher. Sam kept like going back to the you know the maid quarters. Sam's a tease. <laughs> Sam's a butcher. And those butchers <laughs> – nobody can be a tease like a butcher. Right. Always like, hey, so do you want – do you want me to bring you some ground beef? Sure, Sam. Oh, those were the days. Mm. Life was so much easier. A paneled, wood-paneled station wagon or whatever. It was nice. Now we've got all these other problems we've got to deal with. The interweb. We'll take a break, folks. Hour number two. Stick with us. Next hour, we'll talk with BYU Sports Nation. Helping you live healthier lives. Stick with us. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can to help you through this crazy thing we call life. You know, you just, you don't get a handbook. You got to figure it out as you go. Today, 
We got a great guest who will be talking with us about why unsolicited advice can ruin relationships. So don't just go in and start giving people advice. Especially because sometimes when they're talking to you about their problems, they don't want your advice. They just want you to listen. Right? Like you keep saying, oh, we've got financial trouble. Uh, not financial. We're trying to get our mortgage to go through because the they keep messing up our paperwork. And I just kept giving you advice. And you were like, not what I'm looking for. You remember? You, got you know mad. what you should do is you should sell essential oils. <laughs> I told you to take two drops of peppermint and I told you it would make everything better. Rub it on your wrists. Rub it on your together. Wrists. Uh-huh. Put it behind your neck. Uh-huh. And if you can get one drop behind the ear of the lady doing your mortgage, bada boom, bada bing, you're in. And if you really want to make it effective, you rub it on the sole of your feet. Mm. That sounds nice. Did you take my advice? Obviously, because you're in your house now. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, why unsolicited advice can ruin your relationships. We will be speaking with um, a, a counselor, a social worker, um, about that. Pretty interesting stuff. By the way, we're also celebrating today, November 28th, Cyber Monday. It's another Cyber Monday. Uh, this is I'm the famous band, The Bangles. And this is the third time we're playing it because they get paid per play. Isn't it? So I thought the Bengals, I thought the lead singer was a female. If this isn't a female? Is this a female? It just seems like well, as her you, voice is dropping. You get older, your yeah. voice drops. It it's happens. Just, she must be smoking a lot. Yeah. It's really, but I, I really appreciate their work, so I want to play it often so they get paid more. I thought it was Manic Monday. Um. Huh. Hmm. I don't remember the song being Cyber Monday. Today is, by the way, the, the day you get online and you just shop online. And, you know, we need to, we need to spend money online. The, the goal we're shooting for is $3 billion. And we've got a count going right now. <laughs> so if you'd like to add to that, jump on Amazon, we're Best up, Buy. We're up to $200,000. It's also French Toast Day. French Toast! Mm. This is the this is the French toast, uh, yeah, toast comedian. Wow, yeah. he's playing uh, playing a toaster, playing a toaster with a couple spoons. Okay, so you can find anything on the web. Not only can you shop on Cyber Monday, you can also go to YouTube and spend hours of time just looking up French toast stories, songs. Are you implying that that's how much time I spend? No, you don't at all. Oh. I mean, you spend, well, you spend the I'm, exact amount of time. Now I'm offended because, yeah, you're implying that maybe I don't spend enough time. Well, no. You, maybe if you would spend a little more time on that one, just that one. That was a good one, though, by Haywood Banks. Hmm. <sighs> so much to talk about. We will. Uh, we got a great hour. We're going to get into the discussion about unsolicited advice. We'll also be talking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. We got to find out why on earth. I don't know if you heard this. Utah Valley University beat BYU, hundred and fourteen to like a hundred and something, hundred, 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 fourteen point win. Say what? I know. It's crazy. Like somebody didn't tell UVU that 
they're the younger brother that's not ever supposed to win this. Hey, by the way, you know what you should do? You should go online and invest in some stocks in uh, Apple. Are you giving me unsolicited advice? Yeah, but you know, it's it's really good advice because they're they're going to shoot up. They're going to keep going up. So, <laughs> I would just really strongly advise you to do that. Okay. Unsolicited investment advice. Appreciate it. I don't invest in them personally, but I think you should. Okay. But yeah, but you don't. Okay. I understand. We'll get to that. We'll get to uh, our hero of the day, of course. And um, today we will also be talking about um, the city of Denver. You won't believe this. They don't know who's running their Instagram account. They've run into a little uh, snafu. Donald Trump? No. Oh. But apparently somebody's been running it for years and they have no idea who it is. That's kind of scary. All that fun. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Senator Marco Rubio on Sunday criticized President Obama and Pope Francis for the responses to the death of the former Cuban President Fidel Castro. He went first after Obama with the tweet on Saturday calling Obama's statements pathetic because the president focused on improved U.S.-Cuba relations and said history will judge Castro's record rather than providing a critique of his own. Rubio also registered his disagreement with Pope Francis's express of sorrow over Castro's death, noting as a practicing Catholic he accepts Vatican authority on matters of theology not politics. The new Disney film Moana earned $81.1 million over the five-day holiday weekend and $55.5 million on Saturday and Sunday, cruising to the top of this year's Thanksgiving box office. Allied, a film starring Brad Pitt, didn't fare as well, putting it in $18 million over the same five-day period and $13 million over the weekend. Bad Santa number 2 earned just $9 million and $6.1 million, respectively. Authorities are searching for two gunmen who shot 10 people on Bourbon Street in New Orleans early Sunday morning. Police have failed to identify either perpetrator who said they would have fled on foot without injuries. Police Superintendent Michael Harrison asked for the public's help in identifying the shooters and described the gunfight as an act of brazen cowards. The Baton Rouge artist tattoo artist was killed in the chaos and nine others were wounded in the spray of bullets. None of the victims were intended targets, the police say. And finally, yes. Terry and I already discussed this earlier. Um, quite interesting. Uh, I'll just read it for you. Designers at a theme park in Japan thought visitors would revel at ice skating across the sea by freezing real fish and <laughs> pictures of larger sea creatures under the ice. But the attraction was widely regarded as disgusting. The Space World theme park in Japan has closed its aquarium of ice skating rink on Sunday after visitors Visitors and people online called the fish carcass field attraction cruel and repulsive. So designers added about 5,000 fish they bought. They were already dead from local fish markets and embedded them in the ice rink. Mm. Dozens of redfish are half buried and open mouth in the ice and hundreds of blackfish are swimming in a circle. Um, it looks kind of cool. But overall, uh, I'm sure it didn't smell very nice. No. And how do you, I guess you just skate around them? Yeah, that's what Terry and I were talking about. You just kind of like... Some of them look as if they're half in, half out. Yeah. yeah. Like so, they're jumping out of the water almost. Yeah. It seems like that's problematic when you try to... But think of the work. 
Oh, you yeah. can't just toss them in there. You no, have to place you have them. To, and, and you have to – they probably had to melt the ice, then put them in, then refreeze it, right? Yeah. And then, I mean, there's a waste of food there. But, I mean, could you right. still take the fish out? It's frozen, right? Well, Some yeah, of them. it's fresh fish. Sashimi, I think they call it. Sashimi. In case someone runs into it with their skate, then it just it's sushi, right? Well, then, yeah, then it's you just, just chopped filleted. it up. Have some fish. It's a horrible image because then you're like, because the fish looked like it was gasping for air. Yeah, that was bad. They just, you know, you got to know your audience. Thanks, Sadie, for bringing up the dead fish. Five thousand. Them, but it's art. You're not going to mess with a person's art, are you? That's but, art. That's always the argument. Yeah. It's art. Really? Is there a limit to art? I don't know. They got to start putting limits on things, right? This isn't, you can't just do anything with your freedoms. You have to, but they were dead fish. They were already killed. They didn't kill these fish and they did pay for them. They did. So it's good for the economy. So if anything, it's a waste of food. Yeah. Think about the people in Africa who would have loved fish. Well, then go to Japan and go to the ice rink and get yourself <laughs> some fish. <laughs> hey, uh, the city of Denver, the they're they're in trouble a little bit here. They're trying to figure out who has been running the Instagram account. It's loaded, by the way, with eye candy, mm. all these incredible images. But hang on a second. The account is not actually run by the city of Denver. We have no idea who's running it, and neither does the city. Nobody knows who's running Denver's Instagram account. Um, apparently someone has been squatting on the city of Denver name for years and Jennifer Schiavone with Denver's marketing department say that they've been trying to find out who it is for a while. Denverites wouldn't know it's official. uh, It's unofficial at first glance. The mystery grammar, uh, how does this work? So the mystery's grammar actually dubbed the account, the official Instagram of the mile high city. But remember, they have no idea who's running it, and they haven't known for a while. Could it be Satan? It might be Satan. It could be Satan. It's confusing because the account links to a website that includes Denver's logo. The city's been pretty cool all about it. Uh, Schiavone said, no one from the city has made a complaint to Instagram. We haven't asked them to give it up since they had it first. They really do a fabulous job with the content. But we've asked them not to use our website or logo. So it's a very pro-Denver site. Yeah, they're not they're Just not don't defaming use the, the city, city logos. Hmm. I mean. But isn't it part of the we're not suing, they don't know who to sue? Well, yeah. And if we knew who to sue, we'd be so all over you. So they're acting like they're being nice about this, but I think they just don't have all the information to Don't you think it's, you know it's Russia. <laughs> it has to be Russia. Because Russia's got nothing else on their mind but Denver. Right? And you can get, you get nice pictures of Denver off the web. People are constantly posting. Hmm. You can go to Instagram, type in Denver. It's right there. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Hmm. I don't know what you do about that. It just sounds like a lot of – it sounds like a lot of hard work to track it down. I, it's, it's probably some really nice lady that's no. just – And it's freelance. Loves Denver. Go ahead. And she's just trying to make a name for herself. Now <laughs> or she's, not. Now she's going to be in trouble. Uh, apparently, uh, leftovers. Apparently, there's a lot of waste during Thanksgiving when it comes to how much food we eat yeah. and how much we throw away. Right, right. Americans throw away roughly $165 billion in uneaten food every year, according to government data. And about $293 million of that waste happens during Thanksgiving. 
And that's just for the turkey alone. Man. So those sales of whole turkeys for Thanksgiving have dipped in recent years. Consumers are still expected to throw away about 200 million pounds of turkey during the Thanksgiving holiday. What? This according to Natural Resources Defense Council. At a time when one-eighth of Americans go hungry, taking steps to reduce food waste is even more critical, the group says. Um, Freezing leftovers, that kind of thing. So they give you some tips. I think you pretty much know how to take care of your food. I don't know why you're throwing away turkey. You can make a sandwich. No, totally. You do. You don't need to throw away turkey. No, turkey soup. Yeah, turkey bisque, turkey and gravy. Mm-hmm. You could get a turkey burrito, turkey pie, turkey time. <laughs> turkey time is really good. After all, Americans are expected to eat. I get this: vegetables on this on the holiday for Thanksgiving, including nearly three million pounds of collard greens, mm. two million pounds of kale. Blah. And who's eating kale for Thanksgiving? We had kale for Thanksgiving. Did you really? Well, well some what? people did. It's your wife, right? It's my in-laws. Yeah. Your in-laws too? They're like, they're like, and I'm like, what the kale? And they're, they're like, it's good for you. Yeah. It's also the decoration on salad bars. Uh, 1.2 million pounds of Brussels sprouts. Ugh. No? That's gross. You sure? Yeah. See, I, I saw at the store. You like Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts come on a stalk. Oh, I did not know that. So it's like a little Brussels sprout tree, and then they just pop off the side. Oh, it's like you could give it to your wife as a gift. Yeah. Doesn't that make you want them more? Mm, no. I don't. We had them the other night. I, we we lo- threw away a lot of yams. Yeah. Yams are kind of, you only pretty much eat There's those. There's some, some food you cook it, and it just doesn't sit in the fridge well. Mm. It's that one day only, so you need to maybe figure out who's going to eat it and dial it back. A lot of people aren't into leftovers. Like, really? I'm way into I'd almost rather have the leftovers than the mill, the original. Really? Yeah. Salads and Mexican food do not do well no. as leftovers. And a Mexican salad? Horrible. Yeah. Good point. Totally. So, yeah, lots of wasted food on Thanksgiving. Don't waste food. Don't waste food. Bring it to Matt's house. Bring it to my house. He'll Except don't turkey. bring yams. Yeah. Don't bring any of that stuff. Or Brussels sprouts? No, bro- no, what Brussels. about kale? You want some kale? No, no kale. If you wrap it in bacon, it's fine. No, I just eat the bacon. Yuck. Uh, any other news we need to worry about? Um, there's a toy truck. This this came out last week. Toys R Us has pulled a ride-on toy truck from shelves after a Washington uh, state couple says it burst into flames while they were bringing it home from the store. The couple says the Tonka ride-on dump truck, which was powered by a 12-volt mm. battery, was uh, a present for their grandson. They were taking it to uh, their Bellingham, Washington home in the back of their pickup on Friday when they said that it somehow caught on fire. They pulled over, pulled, put out the fire, and said it ignited again as they were returning mm. to the store. Toys R Us spokesperson says the incident appears to be isolated, but the company's pulling the items from the store shelves and the website as they investigate. This isn't the Samsung Tonka truck, no. is it? It's one of them like power wheel right on oh, yeah, those big are toy cool. trucks. Yeah, it's a battery problem. Yeah, it's always a battery problem. Always a, a twelve battery. volt battery problem. Know. So don't do that. <sighs> Watch out for that, kids. You'll get burnt. Anyway, sad day. Some of the toys aren't cutting it yet. We'll take a break. Come back, and when we come back, we are going to be talking about when you should give advice to somebody and when you should just shut your flapper. Sometimes it's a you know it's better to just listen. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be a better friend. We'll be right back.
Over this Thanksgiving holiday, you probably had a lot of time to spend talking with your friends and family. You you heard a lot of their life woes or things that they're struggling with. It can be tempting to want to fix everyone's problems and immediately go into the psychoanalyst mode, you know, trying to figure out how to help them. But sometimes even the best intentions of giving advice can do more harm than good. Today, we have Richard Jolson joining us. He's a clinical social worker, psychotherapist, and author of the book, Help Me, a psychotherapist's tried and true techniques for a happier relationship with yourself and the people you love. He's joining us from New York to teach us why unsolicited advice can ruin relationships and how we can communicate better. Richard, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you very much for having me. Glad to be with you. How do we know, you know, when it's a good time to give the advice and when we should just listen? How no, They don't always make it that easy for us, you know, by asking for our, our advice. Well, that's true. I think that we have a tendency to assume that when somebody shares a problem or a dilemma, they are looking for something. And I've discovered many times over that very often when someone talks about something that's troubling them, they really want an ear more than a mouth. Yeah, right. Um, I discovered that in a session many years ago. I'm a pretty interactive therapist, but this particular session, I was virtually silent the entire time. I said maybe three words in the hour. At the end of the session, the patient said to me, Dr. Jolson, this was one of the best sessions we've ever had. Mm. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You were extremely helpful. That was my cue to know that all I had to do was just listen, be empathic, tune in to what was being shared with me, and that was more than the person needed. It's so true. And we might feel like a driven or a compelling need to keep talking, um, but really the healing might come in just letting somebody else talk and let and you just empathize, understand. Exactly. I I wrote a piece called Just Don't Do Something, Stand There. Uh, And the the message of that piece was just listen and be empathically attuned and you'll be much more helpful and much more therapeutic to the person in in distress than if you were to give, you know, five different recommendations and six different suggestions. Um, So that uh, that was a very important lesson for me as a person and as a psychotherapist, and I've used it ever since. Mm. The other thing I do is that when I think that some sort of advice or something I can contribute is really indicated, I ask permission. I want to make sure that the welcome mat is out before I come in. So I will say, uh, would you like to hear what I have to say about that? And sometimes somebody will say, this could be a friend or a patient. Uh, no, that's okay. <laughs> and then I know that all they wanted was my ear. Yeah. But if they say, oh, yeah, what do you think? What do you think I should do? How do you, what, what do you think about my situation? Then I feel as though I've been welcomed in and my comment will be appreciated. Because, I mean, I even have people that ask for my advice, but they still want to just, they want me to listen. Exactly. But, but you, they, they ask for it because that's how they might start the conversation, right? They're just trying to get you in. Well, it's, it's sort of almost uh, people take it as an implicit request, which it sometimes is and sometimes isn't. Hmm. Uh, there was a person recently who was struggling with the fact that after a year uh, since his wife died, he was having trouble taking his ring off his finger. Uh, it was sort of a way to keep her with him, and he was very comfortable to uh, have the ring on his finger. He was beginning to date after a year, and several people 
voluntarily suggested that it was time for him to take the ring off. Hmm. He should take the ring off. Why is that still ring, that ring still on your finger? Don't you think it's time to remove it? He was upset. He resented it. He felt misunderstood and unhelped. Hmm. Um, that's not what he was looking for. He was just looking to share his struggle about what to do with a friend or right. a colleague. And instead of it being, instead of it, I mean, it's in a way giving him the advice, just put the ring on tighter, right? It's just like, okay, nobody understands me, so I need, I miss her because she's the only one that understood me or whatever. But you're, you're not, you're absolutely right. That's exactly the reaction he had. Gee, yeah. I think uh, this is, they're trying to take her away from me is mm. the way he responded. Yeah. Rather than suggesting I take my ring off. So slower is faster in this situation. Like that's right. We're trying that's to be efficient. Right. Like just get the ring off your finger. But you've got to do it with them, not against them. But people are very surprised when they get that kind of a reaction that says, "I didn't want that," or "It's not helpful," or "I wish you hadn't said that." Mm. They're very surprised and sometimes wounded by what they perceive to be a lack of gratitude or appreciation for the wisdom of their advice. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is even if it were right advice, it, it didn't work because it didn't move them further toward where they needed to be. I mean, That's right. It so, was unsolicited. So even if you're right, if you do it the wrong way, it's not going to work. Well, another pro- that's right. And another problem is that people have a tendency to get very invested in the advice they give. Mm. And they get upset when that advice is not instantly accepted. Um, You know, it could be as simple as, you know, honey, do you think I should wear the red dress or the blue dress? He says the red dress. She then decides on the blue and he gets upset. Right. Because, you know, his wisdom was obviously not heeded and he doesn't understand why he was asked in the first place. Well, his suggestion, his response helped her to decide. Hmm. That was the value of the of the information he was actually asked for. But people get upset when they give advice and it's ignored as they see it. So maybe there's a better way. So instead of asking for advice, you could just ask for some give me your give me your insight. Give me your opinion. Not I mean, advice almost implies that I might take it. That's right. But and, and I guess that in the end a lot of people aren't asking for advice. They're you're just giving it to precisely. them. Precisely. Hmm. What um what are some other things we need to watch out for when when giving advice? I mean, it, it seems like, like you said, a lot of us, you know, are very possessive about the advice we give. We we want it to be taken and heeded. Um, are there other rules about giving advice we need to pay attention to? Well, I think sometimes the advice we give may be a little too much about us and not enough about them. Mm. So that we are bestowing our knowledge, our thoughts, our ideas, without being sufficiently tuned in to the particular needs of the other individual. And that can also feel as though the advice is misguided or, or aimed poorly or particularly unhelpful, because it may be what that person would do, but no way would it be the thing that the listener would do. Mm. So I think we have to be especially sensitive. And advice, you know, people are very, very, um, you know, I had, a, I had a patient who couldn't decide whether to date somebody. <clears throat> so she surveyed her friends, and she found out that five of them sh- thought she should continue the relationship, and five of them thought she should discontinue <laughs> the relationship. So she came in to have me break the tie. Oh, wow. And I said to her, well, what do you think you should do? And she said, I have no idea. 
she really hadn't consulted with herself. She mm -hmm. had just surveyed her support network and wound up being no better off for the trying than, and in fact, more confused. Mm. Um, and it wasn't even an appropriate question in the first place. You're right. And, boy, you look at that and you think, so half of them are going to be bugged or offended or wrong on this decision, and now for the rest of her life, if she stays with the guy, half of them are going to think, oh, that was a big mistake. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, it that's why you got to be careful what you say, right? Because that's people right. and what amazes me is is that people do listen. They do take your advice. I mean, not always, but uh, there's a lot of people that do what you say. Well, that's that's part of the problem, and it can be ruinous to a relationship. Um, there was a, a patient who was having serious difficulty with his romantic partner, shared that dilemma with his sister. And rather than listen and consider and ask questions and help him think it through, her immediate response was, well, why don't you just dump her and get somebody else? Mm. Uh, that was about as unhelpful as she could have been. And basically, he kind of felt as though he lost her as a resource for the future mm -hmm. because it so tainted their relationship and her, her value as a, as a good ear because she was so quick to say something that seemed so uh, inappropriate. Yeah, just like, like, yeah, you don't care. You don't even understand. So, I mean, part of that, I guess, is once you're in and trying to understand the issue, I always, I always suggest you don't, even if you have a quick answer, save it. Like, go understand more. Tell me more what you're concerned about. That's right. Try to get them talking more before you give any advice. Well, it's really about helping the person decide for themselves. Right. The best one can do, whether that's a therapist or that's a friend or a colleague, the best thing you can do is sort of facilitate the decision-making on the part of the individual and not sort of preempt them by bestowing your advice or your knowledge first. Mm. So true. And I guess that's the that's they'll be more motivated, right? If If they come up with the answer on their own or with you, they're more they're more motivated to actually implement what they're talking about. That's right. That's right. That's um, one of the things I'm I'm focused on in my practice is making sure that people just don't get very smart about what's the matter, but they find a way to utilize their insight. Hmm. There are too many people who seem to be insight rich and change poor. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate, and that's why any good therapy really has to help people utilize their knowledge, their insight, the wisdom they get from other people, uh, so that things become better, which is why people ask for help in the first place. Because mm. a lot of people keep – they just – they have a better story, a better explanation. Now they're more able to explain why they, you know, struggle so much in their marriage, but they're not changing anything. Oh, People you see that a lot. in relationships to recycle some of the same issues and the same arguments, and they don't advance the cause of their union because they are still struggling and not resolving anything. Mm. Mm. too often in oh, yeah. relationships. Oh, that's a big, big deal. We're speaking with Dr. Richard Jolson, and uh, he is the author of the book Help Me, which is a psychotherapist's tried and true techniques for a happier relationship with yourself and the people you love. We'll take a break, come back, give you some more information and advice on when and how you, you give advice to people around you. you got to be careful. It will ruin the relationship if you're not, uh, if you're not doing it you know, with their heart and their needs in mind. 
Ah, human relationships. Difficult, but so worth it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Dr. Richard B. Jolson. He's a psychotherapist and author of the book, Help Me, a psychotherapist's tried and true techniques for a happier relationship with yourself and the people you love. And today he's talking about uh, how you need to watch out for unsolicited advice and giving unsolicited advice because it may end up harming your relationship. Uh, Dr. Jolson, thank you again so much for being with us. My pleasure, Matt. Talk about, um, in your book, one of the things that you mentioned is, a, is listening patience. The, um, just, I, I guess, explain it to us. What is and how do we go about developing listening patience? Well, one of the things I've observed, especially in working with couples, is that very often people look as though, seem as though they're listening, but really are not at all. Uh, they may be formulating their next comment Uh, developing a response to what's being said, defending against what they don't like hearing from an upset partner. And so they very often don't really take in the information and process it. Hmm. Uh, When I've observed this sometimes, I've said to a partner, would you please repeat what you just heard from him or her? And often I've discovered that they simply cannot do it. Right. Um, So... Listening patience is really about being able to tune in and truly hear what's being said because it's valuable just by virtue of the importance of that person. And you need the information in which to be able to participate in a meaningful dialogue. Mm -hmm. I've seen it, too, where they ask you a question because they kind of know they should. And then you know immediately they're not listening. And it it, it, it just – you become so – disheartened that you're like, you don't even want to finish your answer. Well, it, it, uh, sometimes it, it really indicates that the person is about two or three degrees off the mark. Mm. And that probably has to do with the fact that they were distracted by their own formulation of a next comment. Yeah. I also emphasize the distinction between reacting and responding, which is very central to being a patient listener. Reacting is something that you do immediately. It's usually emotionally driven. It takes about two seconds, and it's not nearly as thoughtful and thorough and useful as a response, which is a little more measured, a little bit more thoughtful, and usually much more useful. Hmm. Uh, When people interact with each other, there's nothing wrong with saying, well, let me think about that, or, you know, I need to think about, I need to consider what you're saying. That is a good sign to me when somebody does that, as opposed to jumping on the comment with their reaction, which sometimes can be harsh and, and sort of a counterpunch yeah. rather than a real response that is constructive. Right. And um, even the, the reaction could be my way of trying to control you or control the conversation, right? That's I could right. be using my emotional reactions to take this where I want it to go. Mm. Does talk about willingness. You bring it up that uh, just the importance of sometimes what they really need to know isn't your answer to a situation, but your willingness to be there. That's right. That's right. Being present and being involved and being engaged can be much more important 
than uh, anything you actually say. Mm. It's sort of like the issue of um, a, lo- a lot of couples, uh, one partner will often complain about the unhelpfulness of their partner. Um, when that partner gets it and finally offers to help in some specific way, they are relieved of the burden of having to do so because all that person wanted was to know they were available and not necessarily to help. Mm. The wife who says to her husband, you know, you never help me bathe the children, um, all of a sudden, after years of listening to that, begins to bathe the children, and she comes in and says, honey, that's okay. You don't have to do that. I'll take care of the bath. Yeah. And all she wanted was to know that he was available and willing, not necessarily to do the actual work. Hmm. That's so true. And, and sometimes because we're so reactive, we don't even want to be willing and available. We just are reacting to, oh, now she's judging me, saying I don't ever help. So it it pushes one in the other direction. Mm, So, so true. How do we come down off of these conversations? Have you found uh, an easy way to not get emotionally sucked into what's going on in the conversation? Well, I think part of the problem is that some of these conversations can be very heated, very emotionally charged, and so it ignites anger. And unfortunately, once the anger kicks in, the essence of the conversation is essentially lost. It Mm. becomes all about the anger. Yeah. Two people are having a conversation. They're getting somewhere. Somebody gets angry. And all of a sudden, the only thing that they want to talk about is that person's anger. And so the value of the topic is gone until the anger either recedes or disappears some other way. Mm. This is a very, very common problem in, much, uh, in a lot of couple sessions where the anger takes over and the issue is momentarily lost. Right. So it's so important to be able to bind the anger or to use the anger constructively. People use their anger destructively too often and too easily. But, you know, you can say, gee, that really makes me feel angry when you said that. That's much more useful than to be angry Mm. and to use it as a weapon against the person who you're trying to work things out with. Yeah. And and I guess, too, it keeps the conversation going. Because usually if you anger, you're either going to, you know, escalate and fight or you're going to run and, and, and hide, which usually shuts down the conversation. That's right. It's a notorious conversation killer. Mm. And people trying to work out differences, resolve conflicts, can't afford yet another episode of recreating their conflict because they're angry. No, exactly. Yeah, this keeps the pattern going. That's right. As we wrap up, what would you say is the one thing, the one thing that makes the biggest difference in, I guess, giving feedback to others and taking feedback from others? Well, I think, I think the most important thing I could think of to answer that with is that people need to appreciate the fact that change is always possible. There are too many people who have a tendency to foreclose on change. They treat their problems as though they were conditions that can't be changed. They have to be lived with. And I'm a big fan of taking anything that people present and framing it as a problem that needs to be solved. Hmm. Conditions are accepted and tolerated. Problems are actively uh, solved. So anything that is perceived or experienced as a problem has a much better chance of undergoing change than something people feel is nothing they can do anything about. Yeah, that hopelessness, huh? That's right. Mm. And despair is the biggest change killer of all. 
Oh, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. We appreciate you, Dr. Richard Jolson. Everybody go to the website, richardjolsondsw.com, richardjolsondsw.com, and you can get more information about his book, Help Me, A Psychotherapist's Tried and True Techniques for a Happier Relationship with Yourself and the People You Love. Powerful stuff. Do not get discouraged. Let's get, let's get some solutions. Let's get some tools. Let's get the help we need. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top uh, the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Well, that's rude. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We will now send it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We want to hear what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Spencer and Jeremy. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, what's, Matthew. What's up? How are you two kids We doing? heard a voice from the dust. Did you hear it? Yep. You done heard of the dust? By the way, notice it was lose. You lose. Can you guess why? Thanks, about, thanks for that. Yeah. Why are, why are we going with losing? Because BYU lost Utah Valley in men's basketball, and BYU lost Taysom Hill. We did? You, wait, wait. You, you didn't know this? I did not know that. I you, was, you weren't awake at I was in a movie. 11.45? No. Taysom Saturday Hill. Okay, this is not a joke, Matt. What? Taysom Hill, the BYU quarterback. Yes. Was injured again what? against Utah State. No for way. The third stinking Time. You, I had not heard this. You're kidding me. Ankle extended his elbow. Oh, brother! He, he he took kind of a reckless hurdle over a player near the goal line and fell. He, I think he thought he was going to land on somebody, mm. but no one was underneath him. Yeah, he fell so awkwardly. It, so he hyper extended his elbow. Boy, we're we're still waiting for official word on any structural damage there. It's not a fracture, but oh. you have to wonder about. How come I haven't heard this? Where damage. have I been? I'd be shocked if he plays in the bowl game. Yeah, I. I, he, no way. His BYU career is potentially over. Right? All three times against Utah State. <laughs> the other against Nebraska. That is crazy. Holy yeah. cow. So, okay. So it, that our changes question, everything. Yeah, our Twitter question today is what was the biggest story from the weekend? Mm-hmm. So you can weigh in with whatever you'd like. I thought it was UVU until that. Hello. Yeah, w- uh, women's volleyball. Uh, got a 13 seed in the NCAA tournament. They're hosting. Uh, They're going to host Princeton two matches. Friday. Hopefully, oh, if they boy. win that, they could play Utah. I know that's crazy. Saturday, which is kind of cool. That's really cool. It's really cool. In fact, okay, yeah. do you, give me your play-by-play or give me your insight into what happened to basketball. Okay, so Utah Valley shot absolutely lights out okay. from the three-point line. They made 18 three-pointers. Marriott Center record. <laughs> Man, they scored 54 points. From the three-point line and dropped one fourteen on BYU. Marriott Center record. A lot of people are kind of wigging out about this, and understandably, yeah, because records were set. BYU's not supposed to lose to Utah Valley University. That's not supposed to happen. Mm-mm. But it's November. Relax. It's, no- it's November. It's November. <laughs> it is today. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, I uh, BYU has. The last four years, they have three of these kind of losses a year. They've just not had them in non-conference. They've had them in conference to teams uh, not named St. Uh, Mary's, Gonzaga, and Santa Clara. BYU doesn't lose Santa Clara. They lose to everybody else. Mm. 
Um, so it's just a little early for me to uh, freak out about that kind of loss. Although that's the worst loss in, uh, that Dave Rose has ever had, in my opinion. Because it's home and because of the way it happened. And, and it's personal. Yeah, and yeah. there's personal the, the Padawan beat the master. That's yes. right. And handily. His... In his own dojo. <laughs> so yeah, I think you're it's... mixing metaphors. Yeah, exactly. You're mixing Jedi metaphors. and uh, <laughs> and Karate Kid. Karate. Yeah. But but it's all good. It's November. Like, no, it's not good. It's your time. It's November. College basketball. Like, one single regular season loss doesn't mean anything in college basketball. Wow. The, the seeding college hoops. You go. You. You have a decent regular season. You go down to your tournament and you win it. Boom, you're in the NCAA tournament. Like, it's silly. Right. It's almost silly. But there's a lot of hoops left. This team's going to be good. And it's going to be okay. We're going to look back and go, man, we're a long ways away from that. Line. That was nothing. That's, that's what I think will happen. Okay. It, I mean, it, and if not, do you want to give us your phone number? Yeah, so we can all complain. I'll give you Spencer's okay, yeah. number, 801-422. I can't remember the last. Oh, 422 number. Yeah. You're giving him the office number. Yeah, the, okay. yeah, the office number. Yes. I want to know his cell phone. Hey, uh, by the way, Spence, you looked good in that in that beanie cap. Hey, thanks for that. It looked cold. It was uh, The wind is what made it cold. It wasn't like super bone chilling, but when the wind blew, then it was, yeah, it was kind of brutal. Hey, do you want to just explain that Braved thing? Brian and David. That was the scariest thing thing i've ever seen tell me you didn't laugh super hard i laughed incredibly hard <laughs> but i at first i'm like what is a bravid and then you guys explained it very well but so it was a, it was a picture though of uh david nixon brian logan mixed and they were supposed to give uh they were guessing whatever there's whatever why factor, factor. Yeah, the the face, factor. A face mashup of brian logan and oh david it was nixon. honestly <laughs> she's it was it looked like the girl that you know could beat you up but <laughs> but super nice <laughs> it's in the words of Brian Logan, but Braved still gets girls. That's right. I was like, what was that? Yeah, that was pretty scary. He and Blaine's like, aren't both of you married? He's like, but Braved yeah. isn't. But Braved isn't. And by the way, Brian Logan looked like he was freezing to death. Yeah. He he looked very cold. He doesn't hide that. No, he from the Bay Area. Yeah. You guys you guys room. can handle it. He's he's got that thin skin. Hey, anything else on the show we need to worry about? Heather Olmstead, women's volleyball head coach, will come in and address uh, the potential matchup with Utah, also mm. Princeton Friday. Okay, cool. That's it. And mm. they're going for two picks. Spencer oh, widens yep. his lead. Yes. Oh. Oh, tre- oh, ESPN's Trevor Maddich. Okay. The whole premise of today's show is the good and the bad, Matt. Okay. Okay. There wasn't much in between for there BYU. There must needs be. In opposition, yes. apparently. There was, exactly. there was very Even little middle sports. ground for BYU athletics over the weekend. There I, I, was good and bad. I thought that was just a moral thing. Apparently, it's a sports thing, too. Mm. So the, it's not just, yeah, I thought it was life, but apparently it's got to yeah. be on the field you as well. You wouldn't appreciate yeah. wins if you didn't have losses. Do you think we oh, should I never— I appreciate every win. Trust me, Alabama's not like, we need to lose to, a, <laughs> to appreciate these wins. Maybe we should never play uh, Utah State again. Well, Taysom I, Hill should Taysom never Hill, play. Yeah. yeah, it's it's Taysom Hill specifically. It's, it's all in Taysom. Provo though. All three of those I injuries know. happened in Provo. He played one game in Logan and it was fine. Kicked butt. Mm. Mm. Okay, man, that's sad news. I did not know. I was watching Moana during that game with my family. Nice. And so I was getting play by play on my phone. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, listen, BYU football won their fourth in a row. They're eight and four. They're headed to the Poinsettia Bowl. Holler. 
That's uh, <laughs> that's good. But uh, the overwhelming story from the football team is another injury to Taysom Hill. We'll discuss what you all think, and by you I mean Matt Townsend as part of BYU yeah, Sports Nation. Absolutely is the biggest story right now mm. for Cougar Sports. Okay, they're not going to want to miss it, guys. Have a great show. Thank you so mucho. That, uh, that's bad news. Taysom. Last time, I think that's Colin, the Colin Kaepernick curse. Really? I don't think it has anything to do with Taysom's injury, though. Did Taysom uh, refuse to stand for the national anthem or no, something? I'm pretty sure he did. So I thought this was his last year anyway. It wasn't was. It? But he had one more game. He just has the bowl game, and now oh. he can't play. If I mean, we'll see. But he played the whole season, the regular season. Well, yeah, but that's kind of like eating your whole meal but not getting dessert. Oh, unless like, he got his just desserts. You have like one bite left, and then somebody mm-hmm. asks, somebody else asks you, "Hey, can I have the rest of that?" Yeah, or your mom takes the plate away. Oh, and that really good bite you were saving's gone now. It's gone. Mm. Oh, it's so sad. So, so sad. Um, here's a crazy story for you. An armed man upset about birthday uh, climbs the fence at Tampa International. Carrying brass knuckles, several knives, climbed a fence Monday at the Tampa International Airport, ran across the runway while upset about his family for not celebrating his birthday properly. Kirk Bruce Fisher, 52, of Palm Harbor, was upset about an incident, according to the International Uh, The police there, when he climbed the fence at 8 a.m. on Monday, the report said he had three knives, set of brass knuckles, and was running toward the KC-135 tankers at the airport. At the time of his arrest, he was wearing a white shirt with military uh, uh, epaulets on the shoulders. His shirt read, not going down with the ship, written on the back, written on the back of the shirt. Well, we hope he's okay. That was a really ominous happy birthday song. Haven't you ever had a birthday where nobody really heeded you much attention and it just made you depressed? I never have. I kind of like – no, I don't want anyone to pay attention to it. I don't want anyone to know that I'm older. When is your birthday? May 8th. Are you telling the truth? Yes. May 8th. Because you'll all forget it. Like you always do. Anyway, hey, we always like to tell a hero story as we wrap up the show. Check out this. A Tacoma woman has quite a story to tell after her unexpectedly hectic Thanksgiving. It started with a triathlon, took her to the hospital, and then ended up with a dinner table with baby pictures. Listen to this. Rhonda Desconstanzo was up before sunrise on Thanksgiving morning. She needed some dough for the dinner rolls and headed out to participate in the YMCA triathlon. As she was crossing the finish line, she tripped, fell, and broke two of her fingers. DeConstanzo works as a midwife at the St. Joseph Medical Center in Tacoma. She hurried over to the ER where she knows some nurses and got her hand fixed up. And I heard this lady come in, and she was obviously in a very active labor and was obviously going to deliver very quickly. You could just hear it, DeConstanzo said. Jessica Morales could not wait a minute longer. The hospital delivery staff were there on their um, were on their way. So guess what? DeConstanzo rushed over with her hand that was still injured and single-handedly delivered Morales' baby boy. Afterward, I showed her my hospital band and said, you know, I'm a patient here too. And she said, what? DeConstanzo wasn't finished. She returned home and still managed to serve Thanksgiving dinner to 16 guests. What a great day. What a wonderful life I lead. Triathlon, deliver a baby, cook dinner, have time with the family and friends. Life is good, she said, while relaxing at home. And 
DeConstanzo and Morales uh, reunited for a photo later in the day. Morales' baby boy, Haven, is uh, doing great as well. Everyone just needs a few days rest. It was actually kind of a fun day, she said. So, there you have it. Rhonda DeConstanzo, you are the hero of the day. Again, it's all it takes is a willing heart, right? And somebody that's there at the right time. We'll take a... No, we're done. We're not... No more breaks. We'll just out of here. But stick with us and hang out because BYU Sports Nation is up next. We'll be back tomorrow to give you more tools, more information to help you lead a healthier, happier life. Until then, make it a great one. We'll talk tomorrow.